Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Aaron and Patricia. My name is Patricia. And my name is Aaron. And today on the show, a Disney activist investor thinks that they should embrace AI to create characters and improve their parks. Mary Poppins' age rating has increased in the UK due to discriminatory language. Megamind vs. the Doom Syndicate has an 11% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. According to Barrack Analytics, uh, there is an 8.7% increase uh, demand by audience for Hey Arnold. We're going to wish happy 25th anniversary to Nick Gass. PlayStation has announced this is laying off 900 employees. Pixar is going to be working on their first ever musical. A happy 25th anniversary to Spinal Tap. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem is going to be having a sequel released uh, coming 2026. The Nintendo Switch 2 sounds more powerful than we expected, according to a new hardware leak. RZ, the jewels of Faramore, already has YouTube poops weeks after the game's release. And we go into our spoiler section for Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur episodes 7 and 8. You're listening to Aaron and Patricia on the 3rd of March of 2024. Uh, nothing on my end. So, Patricia, what's going on in the Old School Lane podcast? All right. So, I just want to let you guys know that we had just posted up the newest episode of Dream Machine about... Um, uh, what was... Oh, yeah, that's right. Orion in the Dark. Uh, it's already up on the podcast feed. It will be up on YouTube sometime this week. And uh, Casual Chats is back. So... Um, Deshinta and I, we talked about Fully Cooly Grunge and Fully Cooly Shoegaze, and this coming week is going to be the premiere of Aaron and I's new series, DreamWorks vs. Pixar, so stay tuned. Mm -hmm. So yeah, our top story, Disney activist investor thinks that they should embrace AI to create characters. Oh, jeez. We've, is... we, we've had this discussion before with this and uh you know uh, here's the thing about this you know where the disney investors just don't understand this technology and exactly what it is it's a tool it's not there to basically create like your next blockbuster disney princess you know no. it's uh, so um this idea that uh, they think they're going to be able to use this uh in order to basically create you know um some other you know material that uh, is basically going to make them a lot of money no it, uh, it isn't going to do that. And uh, I think uh, they have to think really, really carefully about whether they think that this technology is really going to be in their best interest. Because so quite frankly, from what we've seen, uh, you know, uh, recently, it definitely isn't at the moment. Yeah. Because uh, if so, anything, it's, it's, been, it's been used to basically for all the wrong reasons. It's been manipulative. Uh, it's uh, been basically used for a lot of copyright stuff. Like, this is the thing. Like, imagine if Disney, like, uh, you know... Um, Great, like an AI-generated figure, and they find out that basically it's based off, uh, you know, uh, material that was seen from other studios. Like, you know, that yeah. can lead them into a lot of trouble. Or it could be, like, material based off of, you know, indie creators or indie artists. Like, I remember that there was a video game that came out just recently where there was, like, a create-your-character option, and it was taking off... Uh, designs from VTubers and indie artists because they were utilizing AI technology to create the um, custom character designs. So, yeah, they were sued because of that. And, yeah, it wasn't pretty. I'll just let you know that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, um, I think this is just the 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 wrong way to go about it. We've we've had this again. We've had this discussion before. Like, uh, the AI is is going to be a very useful tool, I think, uh, to use against existing works. But unfortunately, in regards to like creating new material, they are not going to have much luck with that. I think. And uh, so, um, they basically need to hire artists. They need to hire writers. They need to hire get new people. They need to bring actually bring new people into the situation. I 
I still believe that, you know, people like Dana Terrace, people like Craig Bartlett, people like, uh, you know, Craig McCracken as well. I think, uh, you know, people who, um, you know, have very great reputations, you know, Tarakoski could also be another one. And I may even get Miyazaki in for, you know, think try and hoax him out of retirement again, you know, to finally do, do a Disney project. I mean, bring in people that you yeah, have never really done this type of stuff before and uh, people who are, you know, are a really good pair of hands and Disney will be fine. They don't need AI for this. Yeah, so let me just read off the article courtesy of Reuters. Walt Disney shareholder Blackwell's Capital is calling for it to come with an artificial intelligence strategy saying that it could lift the U.S. media and entertainment conglomerate stock price as much as 129%. Blackwell is one of two activist investors pushing for board seats at Disney. While it has largely backed CEO Bob Iger's leadership as one of the largest entertainment companies, it has recently laid out potential changes, including a possible breakup and spinning off its parks and hotel assets into a real estate investment trust. Blackwell said in a presentation on Monday, Disney must produce an artificial intelligence strategy and share elements of that strategy with its shareholders. Since 2023, the largest techno technology companies have added more than $5.2 trillion to their culminative market values and announcing um, AI initiatives. Blackwell said that Disney could do more if it adopted the technology native streak and mindset. Yeah, it's just, it's, uh, it, again, this is Disney done wrong. It really is. Like, uh, they need some fresh new ideas. They need to um, look at, um, you know, what is out there that uh, they essentially use uh, for, you know, entertaining other people and getting in, uh, you know, new generation of, you know, of, uh, of uh, Disney, you know, uh, people. And I just think that, uh, you know, what they've basically done or what they're discussing right now is not, you know, wh whether you like it or not, I don't believe it's the future. And uh, if it is uh, going to be the future that Disney's going to have, I think they're going to be very disappointed, I think, in the results. And I guarantee you right away, I think people will realize how awful actually some of this stuff actually looks. And, uh, you know, Disney's already in the doldrums now. Imagine how bad they're going to be, you know, uh, somewhere in the future if they're going to, you know, adopt this technology and use yeah. it for that means. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, unfortunately, had lost their jobs over the past year. I mean, we've talked about this in Aaron and Patricia, that a lot of Pixar and a lot of Disney animators were fired. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they're going to take AI as an easy clutch so they, they can be able to raise stocks as opposed to like, I don't know, hiring people that you fired or maybe even bringing in fresh people so that they could be able to bring in new ideas and utilizing what you can be able to do to get you out of the doldrums. Yeah. So, um, as far as I'm concerned, like, uh, this, uh, yeah, the, this is wrong. It, it's just, you know, um, I, I can't defend this strategy from, uh, by Disney executives or Disney investors, if that's what they want to do. Um, and uh, so, and by the way, this isn't, as far as I'm aware, this is like the, uh, what is it? The Blackwell investor? I think yeah, that's the, what's yes. saying this. Yeah. Yes. And so this isn't the one that's currently like, you know, uh, where they've been like, you know, uh, quoting Elon Musk. Like, uh, so, um, yeah, like, uh, it, it makes make you wonder. It makes you feel really worried, doesn't it? it about does. uh, uh, you know the future of Disney. This is what's basically being discussed at the top. You know, and yeah. Just, uh, let me I just really... finish off. Let me just finish off the rest of the the article. Yeah, go for in it. In a letter, in a letter Monday to shareholders titled "Promises Made, Promises Kept," Disney said that the board was committed to what they call an ambitious plan to restore value to shareholders. It argued that replacing Disney board members with the nominees of the two activist investors, the one who are interested in AI, by the way would disrupt the company's progress. 
Uh, Disney also took the issue with Blackwell's proposal that spinning off its land and holds in uh, hotels and its real estate investment trust and break up the rest of the companies into separate entities. That strategy, it argued, demonstrated a complete misunderstanding of Disney's strengths derived from the synergies across the businesses. Uh, Blackwell, which is pushing to win three board seats at Disney, said that its share price could potentially rise $246.96 from its current level of $107.74 that artificial intelligence impact on Disney is at minimum comparable to its impact at large tech companies. Its potential for AI and spatial com computing spaces cannot be understated. So yeah, uh, Blackwell's is really pushing for AI to be implemented into Disney. To so, so basically raise... they're doing this to inflate the share price. Yes. Basically. Not the fact that basically it's uh, eventually once they find out that, you know, um, the audience is not receptive, that basically it could collapse again. I mean, it could be a possibility that we could be reaching under low point for for Disney. I mean, could we argue that it'll be reaching just as big of a low point as it was, um, you know, during the the dark era when Walt Disney died? Well, I mean, I think we're where we are at the moment. Here's the thing. You know, it's not a situation where Disney is just, you know, losing money as far as I mean, you know, thanks to their parks, they are turning a profit. So um, it is not doom and gloom as of yet for the House of Mouse. I think uh, the problem that they're going to have is that how are they going to, you know, with, with all the competition that's out there now with Illumination and now with Netflix and now with, um, you know, Apple Sony TV, Pictures and, animation, Sony Pictures animation, you know, uh, Apple TV, uh, even streaming, Netflix. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Streaming services, the movie industries, you know, the companies, everything like that, like all the competition that Disney's going to have, how are they going to stand out? And if their idea is that they're just going to basically adopt a technology which basically takes other existing ideas and morphs them into something different, then quite frankly, they're wrong. And mm. uh, I think, you know, this sounds to me like, I mean, just think about it for a second. You know, you're, if it is going to basically make the, the share price go up, and if like that like it, but then you don't see the return. I mean, like, it's just, you know, we're papering over the cracks. You know, eventually, you know, when people find out that uh, this um, uh, solution is not going to be viable, they're going to have a problem. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, I mean, I think the only thing that's basically going to keep the this, this share price thing going is that when the sequel's all successful. I imagine. Yeah, I, 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 well, I, we talked about this before. Yeah. Yeah. I, I. Here's the thing about this. Like, you know, we may have loads of sequels coming out, but uh, I mean, they are. They're not bad ideas. I mean, there should have been ideas they should have done long ago, and they kind of been sat on them. If anything. Yeah. I, I mean, like it should have been like implemented in increments, as opposed to like having it all at once, and people are just saying, "Oh, they just officially ran out of ideas." Well, no, they're 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 in they're in panic mode right now. So like uh, yeah. they're basically just pulling out all the ideas that they should that all the all the money that they had on the table. They finally signed to like you know finally you know uh, go walk over to it and start to do something with it. Yeah, I mean, even though that, with the exception of. Uh, rescuers down under the Disney Renaissance era didn't really rely on its sequels unless it was like direct to video of course but they utilized a lot of other smart ways to you know um, ride on the coattails of their success they were able to expand on their theme parks they had a lot of animated series they had um, you know fresh blood which was essentially like um, all the people who um, took over the nine old men succeeding into their um, their you know uh, teachings and their spirit into what would Walt do into a new way of doing things? I mean, I think that the reason why it was, you know, a culmination of all of those things put into one and making it a success in the first place is because they knew they couldn't just rely on Walt's um, ideologies and Walt's thinking into 
you know, continuing the company forward. They had to do new things. And I feel that at this point in time, I mean, they are probably going to rely on new things, but it's the wrong new things. And the things that people want to see new things of, they're not going to do because, you know, they try to do quote unquote new things, but nobody is responding to them. Like the last well, few it's movies. Not after... the, isn't it? the, the new things, you know, um, let's be honest, have not been great. Strange World was not great. And, wish uh, was not great. Wish was not great. Oh, Wish was a disaster. Like uh, that, that should have been like you know their their biggest movie of like you know of of the twenty twenties, if anything. And it turned out to be you know uh, very lackluster to, to to put it politely. And, yeah, uh, I mean, now... after Encanto, Disney hasn't exactly had like a major hit in their theatrical films. Uh, and as I might be their... wrong about this, but I think Encanto was probably like you know their last good film, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I guess so, because after that was Strange World and then Wish. So, yeah, I mean, I even argued that, you know, the revival era, quote unquote, that we're going through right now, I think it's over. I personally think that the revival era that started all the way from Princess and the Frog or Tangled, if you're one of those people, have, you know, started around the late 2000s or early 2010s. I believe, in my opinion, it's over because... You know, there's a lot of key things that started um, an era for Disney and ended an era for Disney. Whereas, like, the beginning of the golden era started with Snow White and then it ended around with uh, Bambi because, you know, that was when World War II broke out. And then you had Saludos Amigos and ending it off with Ichabod and Mr. Toad because they were able to get their investors back with, uh, you know, the beginnings and the ends of World War II and getting their European market back. With the Silver Era, you know, it started off with Cinderella and it ended off with The Jungle Book because, you know, Cinderella was the first major film that wasn't a package film that was akin to Snow White. And then The Jungle Book ended off when Disney died. And then you have the Aristocats and then going all the way over to, um, you know, some people argue that it was the Rescuers because of, you know, the... Um, that was like the last film that the nine old men worked on, or maybe it was Oliver and Company because, you know, it was like a slew of various other films that, you know, left a lot of uh, people's expectations either high or low. It, it wasn't a great time. And then you have The Little Mermaid all the way up until Tarzan because, you know, that was around the time in which they gotten back into the basics, but at the same time added new, um, fresh ideas to it because they had new people working on it. And then it kind of ended when a lot of those people kind of like left off and, did Pixar and DreamWorks and various other films. And then you had the experimental era that kind of like came and went around Fantasia 2000 all the way up until, again, some people argue either Princess and the Frog or Tangled because that was when... You know, they tried to experiment with a lot of, you know, new ideas, but with the exception of Lilo and Stitch, none of them went to scratch. And now we're in the point in which either Princess and the Frog or Tangled started the revival era and it gotten Disney in their high horse again. But the question is, when did it end? Some people said it ended in Frozen 2 because, you know, after this, that was when the pandemic happened. And then we had a lot of our stuff on Disney Plus exclusively because it was too risky for them to go into theaters. Or some people argue that it ended with Encanto because now we're going through a rough patch with Disney with not only the company and not only with, you know, the films that 
came out afterwards. So yeah, I'm interested for the Disney fans who quote unquote created these sections on when the eras began. I want to know from you guys, is it still going or has it ended a while ago? I'm curious because and personally for me, I think it ended years ago. Well, I think and... the whole, I think if you ask me revival era, if you ask me to like give like a description of it, I mean, it's more the fact that it's, you know, it, it's basically Disney going back to, pro, you know, to prominence effectively. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I guess you could say that probably Encanto was probably maybe the end of the revival era. Cause then after that, we had Strange World, which it didn't do very well. And then after that, we had, uh, you know, where wish, which obviously mm -hmm. did even worse. And right. we, and so maybe we are now maybe in another, you know, I mean, I don't know what you basically would call this era, I guess, at that point. I mean, like, uh, I wouldn't would you call it the post revival era. Um, I don't know. Like, uh, I think somewhere down the line, I think when more movies get released, I think then we'll probably understand, you know, what era we're probably in at the moment. I mean, like, uh, good grief. I mean, here's the thing about like this I don't want there to be an AI era. Oh, I think I, I think we don't want an artificial intelligence era. Like you know, hey, these are all the movies that uh, Disney put through uh, Chat GTP, and this is basically what we got, and it's all garbage. Oh no! Please no! Please yeah. no! I don't want to see that. I, I don't want to be a part of this universe. Uh, well, I mean, it's uh, that's what the investors want to do, and uh, if they do it, I think they're going to find out very quickly that uh, you know. Here's the thing about this. You know, the only thing I can think of is that Disney might be saying, how can we do movies on the cheap? And so they might be trying... To, here's the thing about this. How sad does this sound like? They might be trying to out-cheap Illumination. You know, like, uh, like how, how can we drive the cost even further down and basically create even more content, which is, like, not very offensive, but very similar at the same time, and basically yeah. follows, like, a formula? Yeah, that's that's kind of... That's kind of bad. If you're going to take the Illumination route in which you're going to create some of the safest, most generically plot, generically characters, generically situational stories, but at the same time makes billions of dollars, we have a problem. We're basically going to get clones of Sing, eventually. And uh, it kind of, because, you know, uh, there's also, uh, again, I've not seen Migration yet, but uh, there's nothing about it that really, like, you know, stands out to me that makes me want to go and see it. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe just the uh, fact that basically my childhood was saturated with ducks, you know, towards the end of the nineties. That is true. Like, I mean, for those who weren't in the nineties, remember the nineties? It was a good time. Anyway, so yeah, around the nineties, we had a lot of TV shows that were featuring ducks. We had Ducktales. We had Darkwing Duck. We had Quack Pack. We had Mighty Ducks. It was so many ducks. I don't know why. There were so many ducks. It was just so much of it, and even yeah. and even with the eighties, we had Count Duckula. I, I would and... I would argue it. You know, here's the uh, here's the fair. To be fair about you know, well, Duck, Count Duckula was the eighties. Uh, you know, yeah, I was just saying, like even with the eighties, we had Count Duckula. We had Howard the Duck. So we had a yeah, lot but, of ducks. Here's the thing. But the, the one the point I'm making is is that uh, you know um, towards the end of the Disney afternoon, you know, obviously we were saturated with like you know uh, duck related shows, and effectively like you know that pretty much kind of like killed all of that off so yeah. oh um, and by the way we're we're going back to that <laughs> yeah exactly so <laughs> we'll talk about that later yeah but uh so just around this whole segment off i would just safely say this no uh disney should be embracing ai in regards to you know more of its internal structures but in regards to like racing characters and improving parks no move on yes please on. move on we don't want this no no please nobody wants this nobody wants this if any investor is even listening to this, no, no, do not use AI 
so that you can create characters. And here's the thing parts. about this. I'm not against AI in regards to like saying, here's a character that I've just created. However, we need to flesh it out. And uh, so um, what directions could potentially go in? And AI sort of like prompts of like what direction potentially go in. But then, you know, with the suggestions that are in place that AI has generated, then you can go on to like say, oh, yeah, we could create it out of this, that and the other. You know? Yeah, and, so, and I'm not against AI when it comes to like, hey, you have a foundation for something. Maybe you can use AI to kind of like help you even further. I, like I mentioned before, I've been seeing AI in use of hospitals and pharmaceutical companies to try to see if they can be able to find ways of detecting cancer five years before the latest technology in hospitals and also in various other places. That's a good idea because. I mean, let's be honest, cancer is like one of the major killers in the entire world. And, you know, we've lost families and friends and loved ones because of cancer. So it would be nice if we can be able to have a way to detect it and get the cure or even like, you know, try to see if we can be able to stop it at its early time right before it affects your entire body. Otherwise, it's too late. So, well, I'll tell you, my, uh, my, my dad is a doctor and uh, he's got particular views on AI, which I think, you know, are very contrary to what you've just described. But uh, anyway, we're, we're not a medical show, so we're not going to go into that. But Fair enough. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, here's the thing, like, uh, I'm actually kind of doing, like, because I'm actually experiment, you know, uh, experimenting with AI myself and uh, looking at, like, you know, what it can do and what it definitely can't do. And so um, hopefully somewhere down the line, I actually will, you know, tell everybody, like, you know, my find my findings about my, uh, what I've basically been able to do with the, with the project, with the, uh, with the technology. And uh, yeah, I hope to share it with some, some people, some of you real soon. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot about it, and I'm actually really excited for it. I think that people are really going to enjoy it. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll tell you offline uh, some of the stuff I'm working on, and then, uh, yeah, if we, if we can we can figure out how we're going to basically tell everybody well, how, how it's going to work. And everything. All right, sounds yeah. great. Cool. All right. All right, so over to our next bit of news. So this is actually really interesting. So Mary Poppins gets a higher age rating as the UK reckons with uh, various um, racism terminologies and discriminatory language. So yeah, so um, for those of you who do not know, Mary Poppins was made a long time ago. It's basically when Dick Van Dyke was like, uh, you know, in, in a very younger place than where he is today in his 90s. Yeah, so, uh, and we're talking about a movie that came out in 1964 based off of a book that came out probably around like the um, early to mid 50s. So, yeah, I mean, these kind of things are, um, you know, pretty interesting to look back on, considering that we have a modern audience looking back on classic films and seeing that there are some things that haven't held up very well. No. So according to the Washington Post... That while Mary Poppins has a historical context, the use of discriminatory language is not condemned and ultimately exceeds our guidelines for acceptable language. The rating change made last week moves Mary Poppins from a U, which is appropriate for all audiences, to PG, indicating that it contains some scenes that may be unsuitable for young children, but um, should not unsettle a child's age or older. So, yeah, this is actually uh, pretty interesting. But, you know, then again, we have talked about this with the Roald Dahl um, books being um, changed with its language because it was considered pretty um, offensive to certain people. I mean, we talked about that a while ago in Aaron and Patricia. And even recently on Disney Plus, they've been putting a lot of warnings for certain movies and even certain Disney shorts saying that, you know, um, rather, uh, they, you know, there were some things that were, you know, 
showcase at the time but you know even back then it's considered wrong uh, they even have like warnings saying that rather than removing the context we want to acknowledge its harmful impact learn from it and spark conversation very similar to what warner brothers used to do when they released a lot of their shorts uh from looney tunes and even their films like gone with the wind when they used to do that back then where they would have a, a warning saying that the following thing you're about to see was a product of its time and depicts racial and ethnic prejudices that have unfortunately been in commonplace of American society. You know, uh, if we don't showcase this stuff, then how are you able to learn that this was wrong even back then and especially now? So, yeah, I guess uh, let's... Uh... Let's uh, let's talk about some of the things that they um, decided that they were going to remove, shall we? So uh, there are two words that are considered to be pretty derogatory. So um, there's Hottentot, which is a term that is a derogatory word used by Europeans to refer to the people of Southern Africa. Which I, I'm not familiar with this word, but I'm sure. Well, like the reason why they refer because the problem is that in the movie they do refer them as that, uh, whilst you know where people have like a so you know uh, faces covered with soot, and so as you probably imagine in America, blackface is probably looked down upon very much so. You oh, know, yes, in this, and so, so that's sort of where it's going, and uh, yeah, so um. Yeah, again, like, uh, I can sort of understand the argument behind it. Let me safely say this, like, uh, this could be far worse. I mean, like, uh, they could be, you know, um, the, the one thing they could end up doing is changing Mary Poppins entirely. You know, like, oh, uh, and so basically oh, editing sure. it and, like, you know, taking that, taking all of that out, which uh, obviously they're going to leave that in because obviously you don't want to mess with classic movies because that basically upsets a lot of people more than it was basically just hiking up the, the age rating. You know, like, mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, again, like, uh, I, I'm not against that. By the way, um, a lot of stuff that happened in, you know, movies, you know, you know, your post, your, sorry, pre 1950s, I don't think will probably be considered, you know, appropriate for kids today. You know, yeah. like I mean, I'm just gonna say that. You know, like uh, it's um, it's one thing is that you know, oh, political correctness got mad, yada yada yada. But I mean, if we go back through some movies, I mean, I gotta be honest, like uh, when you've got like, I mean, what in Pinocchio, I think you've got like kids smoking cigars and yep. like you know, drinking and stuff. Like you uh -huh. know, that, that that would never be allowed in you know movies today in for for for, for children. And stuff oh, absolutely like. not. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, even with like an anime. You have to remember that shonen anime are usually for like older kids or teenagers. It's not like for younger kids. It's like, oh, look at that. You know, here's yeah, an anime is like pre nineteen pre nineteen fifties anyway. So like, uh, you know, anime movies are like you know tend to not to be of that era. We're talking about right. like you know the era, but you know probably pre and post World War Two. Okay, fair. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I would. Okay, I get that. And yeah, I mean, there were a lot of things that were shown back then that you know would be considered like pretty normal but you know by today's standards it's like no our standards have changed our way of living has changed so seeing all of that could be very questionable to a modern audience again like you know we were talking about george lucas a couple of weeks ago weren't we on on on, the, on this podcast and yes. uh, let me say, say this like it could be worse like the, again they could edit this stuff out and, yeah, uh, yeah. I could... mean, we could have like a, you know, we could have like a uh, a director's cut. It's like saying, oh yeah, um, all that stuff. Uh, we're just gonna edit it out, and it's gonna be super obvious, and it's gonna like change the integrity of the original classic film that um has been around for 
almost 70 years and has, well, I mean, 60 years, I'm sorry, 60 years and has transcended through multiple generations is like, you're going to change that because you think that people will be offended with it. I mean, showcase why it's offensive and have a talk with your children saying that, yeah, this stuff, even though that it was horrible, unfortunately, it was showcased back then. And now we don't do that anymore. And th this is why. So, yeah. yeah, this is a great way of talking to your kids saying, hey, you know, a lot of the stuff, you know, back then of what we showcased was wrong. And, you know, this is what it actually was. We're not just going to hide it away saying, oh, it never happened because that's I, being. I, I think that's what they should do with all these movies. Like, it should be just a case of like you put up a graphic saying some of the content that you see in this movie was acceptable at the time that it was made, but not acceptable in today's, you know, and uh, based on a little bit of a warning and then gets to the movie. And that's it. I mean, yeah. uh, there's been people who have been arguing. And uh, let me say we say this. I mean, I know Song of the South is very problematic. Like, well, but, you know, there's a lot of people still like Simpsons do that. As a song, like you know, from from Uncle Ray. Yeah, and a lot of people like Br'er Rabbit and all of the other animated characters that were featured. It's just the live action bits that are the more awkward ones. I mean, okay, yes, it's true that there was a scene in Br'er Rabbit where there was Tar Baby. I get that part, but yeah, I mean, there are some people who actually defend Song of the South. But then there's some others who are saying, no, Song of the South was actually pretty offensive. Yeah, but I mean, with all this uh, you know, um, content, I would have just said, look, um, if you're going to put it up there and uh, you're worried about the reaction it might get from some tweet, put up a graphic just saying, look, um, the content you're about to see was acceptable at the time it was made, but not acceptable now. And basically just have like that, that, that warning in place and then just get to the movie. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, even I can't see. People complain about like, well, why would you complain about something like that? Like, you're gonna forget about it like five seconds later, mm. like, you know, when the movie starts. Yeah, and then when you see all of the stuff that they were warning about, it's like, what? What is all this? Exactly. It's just basically say, look, you can't say you've not been warned before you watch this movie. Just put up that a graphic true, yeah. and be done with it. You know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, it even used to be back then in which when movies were just starting to become popular, they actually would have a person stepping up onto the stage, you know, you know because, you know, uh, theater productions were kind of like what they had in mind right before that, you know, modern cinema could be able to like branch out outside of a set where they usually have a person coming up saying what you're about to see could be scary or what you're about to see could be shocking to an audience. So we're giving you this warning. What you know, um, be careful what you're going to be watching because you know, once you see it, I mean, that's what you're going to be watching. And so, by the way, here's the thing about this like, you know, it's just being moved to PG, like, you know, kids can still watch it, yeah, you know, like, exactly. Uh, and it's just only through two scenes literally, two scenes of a movie is going to be seen as kind of problematic, where you have uh, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious and spoonsful of sugar, in which you have that scene in which they mentioned that offensive word. Yeah. And, and then you have a, yeah the, the one thing that, that, I mean, yeah the one thing that i remember you know about uh, the rating system is that i just think that uh, even i think it's too clumsy i think the fact that you know you have like a you which could be universal which could be for anybody you got parental guidance and you know like um you, the parental the problem with parental guidance is that they're relying on the goodwill of the parents to watch the movie first before introducing it to their children. That's the idea of parental guidance. But nobody, you know, I would say practically, is going to want to put four hours into watching a movie first before introducing it to their kids. I don't think. Oh, oh you, you want to you want to know a story? Oh uh, yeah, so it's oh, tell me story. I love story. Okay, so here's an interesting story. So, um. 
Okay, so I have a friend who writes plays and she puts on performances for um, the University of Alabama. So what she there was one time in which she was writing a play that was for 18 and up, like strictly 18 and up. And there was a mother who brought her 11-year-old daughter and they gave a warning saying, please do not bring your child into this because there's going to be some subjects that are going to be brought up that is not suitable for your child. And then she's like, oh, my child is mature enough for this. Literally five minutes into the play, a character is going through HIV. Mm -hmm. And then she was offended and said, I want my money back. And then they said, I'm sorry, but we cannot refund the ticket because we literally gave you a warning saying that your child is not old enough for this. Like, oh, you know, you know, I, I even though that I told my child about, you know, just, you know, um, you know, the birds and the bees and all that kind of stuff. I have not mentioned my child about HIV and sexually transmitted diseases. How dare you? And so after like the whole argument went off for 15 minutes, she just upped and left with her child after being traumatized about hearing about a gay man who has HIV. So yeah, even parents were who are given warnings to people saying, hey, this is not appropriate for your child. Please do not watch this. They still will do it anyway because sometimes they think, oh, you know, um, I think that my child can be able to handle this. But there's a, there's a reason why people give you warnings for this stuff. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so that's the problem with parental guidance, you know, like uh, it's, it's relying on the, the 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 parents to basically make the, the good decision to, you know, whether they want to watch the kids. And by the way, kids watch Walkins of PG movies anyway, uh, pretty that's much true, you yeah. know, I in, mean, in cinema. I, I remember like when I was a kid and there was like people who clearly decided like to sneak into movie theaters because they wanted to watch something that was clearly not for their uh, for their age range. I mean, we've all been through that. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, I remember like all the times, like you know, we went to movies that uh, you know, I remember like movie theaters not really caring who walked in. You yeah, know, they didn't. They didn't yeah. ask for like, you know, where's your parent? Uh, you know, I need to see ID for your for your age. It's like, no, they didn't care. If it, it didn't matter if like a nine year old kid wanted to go see RoboCop or Terminator Two, they just went and let them watch yes, it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like uh, it was just them. You know, they find it's it's going to be towards the box office, so they wanted the money. And so, yeah. like, yeah, exactly. So, you know, uh, but, um, I, you know, here's the thing, like, uh, here in the UK, like, uh, we have, like, a, a bunch of ratings. So we have U, we have PG, we have 12, we have 12A. So 12A, basically, is even, if, you know, uh, if the movie is rated 12, if it's 12A, you, you know, uh, uh, under 12 uh, can go into the into the movie theater with, with an adult present. So that's 12A. Then there's 15, and then there's 18. Okay. And, uh, yeah, and before, ours... we, used to have, we used to have the X. But uh, we don't have the X anymore. So it yeah, it, it used to be for us. It's like G is for the universal audience. PG is for parental guidance. PG-13 is for 13 and up. Rated R is for 18 and up. Well, then there's... I've always I've always found that confused. PG-13. So that's parental guidance and 13 years old. Yes. Basically. So you could still... So, so what that translates to me is that you could still have... A thirteen-year-old child, but the parent would still like you know be obliged to check the content before you know allowing them to watch it. That's correct. Yeah, that. Yeah, I I just think you should be look. If it's thirteen, you know, thirteen-year-old can watch it. If it's not thirteen, you know, thirteen does not year old does not watch it. PG thirteen is not. It's just a confusing term for me. It's it's just like who PG is. Yeah, I I mean, it, PG is for the kids. PG thirteen is for the teenagers. It's like what? 
Okay, yeah. so what's what's after PG thirteen? You say PG thirteen. Okay, so after PG thirteen is rated R for yeah. the eighteen and up. Okay, then there's A for like strictly adults, and that's usually reserved to like you know <laughs> the mm. other stuff. Yeah, and then it used to be X back then, but we don't have X movies anymore because no, like uh, the Exorcist was X, right? It, so. Something <laughs> like that. Yeah, they put the X in Exorcist. So. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. So that is um. Okay, so again, you know, going into the whole Mary Poppins debacle, I I understand that in Europe they had to put in a little bit of a higher rating for a children's movie because, well, I mean, there were some things that happened back then that they showcased or they told or they sang that is not acceptable by today's audiences. And so, but, but, you know, kids watch PG movies anyway, so basically nothing's changed. Okay, yeah. So for Move anybody on. who's making a big deal about it, there's much more worse things to make a big deal about. So let's yeah. move on. Okay. Okay, so, hey, Aaron, did you know that there was actually a sequel to Megamind? I did not know this. Um, when was this announced? It was announced, like, literally a few days before it came out on Peacock, and everybody saw it, and everybody hated it. Oh. And it's currently on 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. Did, did you see the promotional material for that as well? Like, what's wrong with Megamind's face? <laughs> it, it, why does he Why does it, he have, like, a, a different face and a different head yeah, than he was he, in the original movie? He looks like a PlayStation 3 character. Yeah, like, he looks like it looks like a video game cutscene. I know. Like, I mean, like, uh, I remember him looking a lot more uh, refined than that. And now he's just like, when I see him with those, with that teeth and those eyes, it's like, <laughs> it's just, it doesn't match the aesthetics. Okay, okay, okay. Um, joking aside, we know what this is. This is supposed to be a pilot for a Mega Man anime. I mean, Mega Man. Mega Mind. Mega Man. <laughs> Okay, Mega Mind animated series. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine that? Ex- Mega Man meets Mega Mind. <laughs> oh my uh, gosh. Super that'd be fighting cool, robot, Mega Man. And then you have freaking Mega Mind teaming up with Dr. Wily. <laughs> So, um, I mean, just uh, here's the thing with this. So, uh, I think obviously this movie was cobbled together. I mean, again, like the fact that they made no announcements for it, like, was this the last no, minute? I don't know. Here's the thing. So as you guys know, if you tune into Dream Machine, we know that there were supposed to be three DreamWorks movies coming out this year. Orion of the Dark, which we already talked about. Kung Fu Panda 4 comes out literally this Friday. And then The Wild Robot is coming out in September. That's all we thought about. Okay, three movies. That's it. But literally at the last minute, they decided, hey, there's a there's a promotional trailer for Megamind versus the Doom Syndicate. And it's going to be a push for this upcoming Megamind animated series that's going to be exclusively on Peacock. Again, we heard nothing about this. And we always check for news on everything. We would have heard about this immediately if we heard about this news. But no. Like nothing. This is almost as bad as George Lucas's strange magic in which Disney was obligated to have this movie released because, you know, they are George Lucas already gave them the rights to all of his stuff. So Disney had to put it out. And so they did it in the most laziest and easiest way possible by releasing the trailer two weeks before the movie was going to come out with little to no advertisement. And the movie flopped. Oh, hey, babe, do you want some breaking news? What's that? So, um, Megamind 2 director has addressed the pan sequel challenges, according to this. So, uh, 
I'm just going to try and find the quote here in uh, CBR.com, which uh, okay. always, seem, always seems to crop up in our uh, discussion. Yeah, CBR.com always seems to crop up whenever that we're talking about something, whether it be news articles or top tens. It's like, at this point in time, I think we should oh, just... Oh, okay. So uh, according to... Uh, so this is CBR.com. This is actually an interview he did with uh, with Animation Scoop. So this is director Eric Fogel, who's commented on the challenges of the film, uh, which include uh, recasting the main roles and getting a, a minuscule, having a minuscule quote-unquote budget to work with. So uh, he basically said this, yeah, one of the most challenging things was uh, that the original voice cast was stellar, right? Will Ferrell, uh, Tina Fey, Jonah Hill, Brad Pitt, Fogel said. My hat goes off to the incredible casting department that we worked with at DreamWorks who are able to bring these uh, super talented voice actors not only to uh, emulate um, what uh, was done back then, but to build on it. Uh, Keith uh, Ferguson is a voiceover legend and he'll bring so much uh, and humor to this character. He also is a brilliant improvisational actor, uh, so working with him and all the voice cast uh, is just a delight to me. So he's basically saying because the, the sequel had a smaller budget, that uh, basically that basically created some challenges. For I mean, of course. Project. I mean, let's be honest. A TV budget is much, much less than a theatrical budget. And I, I know that there, it's very similar to when we talked about Buckwild. With the exception of Simon Pegg, they had to get sound alike so that they can be able to have the, um, you know, the movie done within the Ice Age universe in a kind of way that could be a potential animated series we don't know i mean the whole ice age thing is still up up for debate but we know for sure that megamind versus the dune syndicate is supposed to be a pilot for its upcoming animated series that has been confirmed so yeah i'm just going to read off the plot synopsis of megamind versus the doom syndicate uh, for those who haven't seen it i mean i'm sure that you probably have seen it if you um you know probably have all the posts of, you know, all the stuff. I think given the fact that we've got a Kung Fu Panda 4 coming up uh, very soon, I think uh, as a bit of a uh, teaser towards it, I think we will end up doing it. Yeah. I think so. Uh, we uh, will mean, get there eventually. Yeah, sure. Okay, when Megamind's former uh, villain team, the Doom Syndicate, returns, the newly crowned blue hero must keep up evil appearances until he can assemble his friends, Roxanne, Chum, and Kiko to stop his old teammates from launching into Metro City. Now, some of you guys are probably wondering, Who's Chum? Well, I mean, okay. You remember that in the movie, Chum is a little guy, well, the, the big guy, the little fish in the in the human head. Yeah, Minion. He calls himself Chum, but his name is Minion. There's a whole point in the movie where he clearly said, because of, you know, cease and desist orders, I decided to change my name to Chum. So, yeah, they, they make it look like in the movie that, okay, a cease and desist order because there's a um, there's like a food product named Minion that he decided to change his name to Chum. So, yeah, you can clearly see what the whole cease and desist order is. The reason why that Minion is not called Minion anymore, but instead Chum, like he wanted to be called kind of in the first place in the first movie, was because the whole popularity of Minions in the Despicable Me movies. Yeah, so um, it's kind of a bit of a bad thing when you have to admit that one of your characters has to have his name changed because something that came out was uh, more popular than what you created. Yeah, like that's. I think they should have just stuck with it. Like uh, you know, he's just he's just a he's a guy. I mean, it'd be better if they gave him a name more than Minion because they can turn around and say, "Yeah, um, you know, um, I didn't. I'm not really a Minion anymore. I'm more of a friend. So you know, my name is now you know going to be called Chum, or like you know, give him a, like an actual real name. I don't know." But uh, yeah, that's that's not good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
that's pretty much what the story is. Now, we haven't seen it. We will eventually because the fact that it is a sequel to a DreamWorks film is kind of astonishing that we have to talk about it literally at the last minute. So we'll, I'll we'll, we'll say this it. right now. I'm looking at IMDb, and right now this has 2 out of 10 out of 800 reviews. Oh, I'm not no. looking forward to this. <laughs> oh, this is so, so not good. I'm okay. going to try and find some like non-spoiler-ish reviews from users and see... Uh, well, there is. I'm books, looking so. at the Rotten Tomato reviews right now, and oh man, they are so bad. I mean, you have, um, let's see, uh, Neil Minow from RogerEbert.com says it is intermittently funny and briefly heartwarming. Although they ran the original through the washing machine a few times and then faxed it. Mm. And then uh, Adrian Ruiz from But Why Though, a geek community, said Megamind versus the Doom Syndicate plays like a surface level made for TV movie. The goal is clearly to transition viewers over to the franchise's new animated series. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of similar to what they did with Spirit Ride Free, in which, like, um, you know, they there was like a whole movie that was released in theaters to kind of like catch up to people saying, hey, did you know that there was a spirit TV series already on Netflix that has four seasons or six seasons or something like that? But no, in this case, it's like, OK, we're going to promote a direct to video movie to promote the the TV series. This is bad on DreamWorks level, because if you remember that the Joseph King of Dreams, the reason why they decided to not make any more direct-to-video movies after this was because they saw what Disney was doing with their direct-to-video movies, and they said, we're not doing that. And now, 24 years later, they're doing that. Hmm. Well, this, so, is, I mean, this isn't direct-to-DVD, though. This is streaming. Is it same print Same principle. Same principle. Even though it's not direct to video, well, in a way, it's, to... it's not. It's actually it's not because uh, you know um, Joseph King of Dreams was direct to DVD or direct to you know whatever it is is on now, and uh, so. But this is like this is more like TV movie, if anything. Well, yeah, so. I mean, as we mentioned before, like they wanted to do more direct to video movies, very similar to what Disney was doing at the time, but they decided not to do it because they were trying to be the anti Disney at the time, and so that's why they released all of their films theatrically. And, yeah. you know, just recently they started to follow in the Disney formula of, hey, we're going to be releasing stuff exclusively either on a streaming service or um, or on on a different platform that isn't in theaters. So, yeah, yeah we talk I'm, about I'm going to read. I'm going to read some of these reviews that are on IMDb because some of them are actually really hilarious. Um, so okay, okay. Uh, go for it. Uh, one of them is that I actually couldn't watch. I wouldn't wish this worst, <laughs> this uh, my worst enemies to watch this a uh, literal abomination of a movie. That's actually like that. That's the highest rated review on it, and uh, it's uh, that's the that's the one. Ninety eight people out of one hundred and eight found this review helpful. One out of ten. Um, there's another one that says like this. Some, some one person comparing this to Disney Junior. Like uh, <laughs> how bad it is. Um, oh yeah, this, my this, gosh! This movie is not like the first movie. Yeah, I think we definitely can say that's that's the case. Um, cheap animation, bad jokes, and terrible dialogue. And uh, <laughs> this is not my mega mind. <laughs> <laughs> Just no. Um, couldn't even finish it. Well, someone tried to watch it and couldn't finish it. Um. Should be 2011 TV series, but no. Uh, why Peacock? Uh, okay, and terrible film. 
uh, movie making lesson how not to make a sequel. Uh, so yeah, oh, it looks like The Sims. Oh, no. <laughs> so comparing to Disney Junior, comparing it to The Sims. Oh no, no, uh, no, no, no. Yeah. Okay. This... Now, as you guys know, when we, if you listen to our Dream Machine episode, <laughs> Mega Mind, more like Smooth Brain. <laughs> okay. Oh. Anyway, as you guys remember. We are. We thought that Mega Mind was okay. I said that it was definitely trying to cash in on the popularity of Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and with Despicable Me because they literally came out around the same time. And I just thought that okay, I knew what they were going with this. It's like okay, we have a super villain who was able to kind of be good at the end, very similar to like I said before, like Despicable Me, and even with Wreck It Ralph. But, you know, there was just some things that it kind of did that just felt like it was just playing to its cliches. But at the same time, you know, it was a decent film. It's not the best DreamWorks film, not by a long shot, but it was all right. Yeah. But seeing this coming out 14 years after the first um you know, Megamind movie came out. I mean, if you remember, Megamind was an underperforming film. It didn't do that great, but it was only because of, you know, people growing up with it that it has a strong following to this day. But now people who actually grown up with the movie that are seeing Megamind versus the Doom Syndicate, seeing how much of a disappointment it is, is actually pretty funny. I have to say this. It's, ha it's really hilarious. Even my sister, who actually really likes the movie, is not interested in checking out this because she thinks that it's just going to cater down to the lowest common denominator, which it is. Let's be honest. It is. Mm -hmm. so, I I'm just um, going to leave it off with this review because I just thought it was hilarious. Go for it. Uh, I actually have two. Um, Zach I says, bro, this movie is absolutely shameful. It's literally the kind of movie the first Megamind was parodying. The new castings are horrible. All of the OG cast was thrown out the window and it really shows. The Doom Syndicate was extremely boring and it doesn't make sense in the story. In the first Megamind movie, we were shown that only the hero and villain are Megamind uh, and Metro Man. There was no one else. The new girl, uh, the, the new characters are, are just annoying. The movie is extremely forgettable. The animation is bad, and I mean really bad. It's like a show made for television. Zero out of ten. Megamind should have deserved a better sequel than this lazy cash grab. And then, um, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Kiaki Marsha G said, Skibidi Toilet, Riz Giat, Sigma Male Morbius was better than this. Mm. And half a star. Yeah, so uh, this or, is bad. Or, or how about this? Lego Max Robo uh, Rebo says it was worse than getting your balls smashed by a hammer. If I would get, I would give it negative two stars. Great. I mean, like, uh, okay, I think uh, given the fact we're moving into fetishes now, let's let's move on. Yeah, let, let's so. just move on. Okay, we are gonna see this movie, everybody. We just gonna have to do it at some point because you know we have so many other things that we need to catch up with. But don't worry. There will be a Dream Machine episode of Mega Mind versus the Doom Syndicate. I think we've and... already kind of like pre 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 faced it with like you know what we're going to think about this movie from the look of it. Like look how I mean, yeah, this is almost as bad right as all the reviews from Ice Age: The Adventures of Buck Wild when that was thrashed by the critics, or Tom and Jerry Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory when everybody was just like seeing the movie and said it was just an abomination to Gene Wilder's legacy. So yeah, we have to see this movie. Anyway, so enough of our ranting aside, let's move on to some good news. So according to Parrot Analytics, there's actually an 8% increased demand by audiences for Hey Arnold. 
I thought that that was actually really awesome. I think that's really cool. And to, here's the thing about this. Now, um, what would cause this? Now, for those of you who aren't fans of the Super Bowl, I mean, like, or have missed out, like, on uh, Sir Patrick Stewart's, uh, you know, contribution to this, is that uh, there was an advertisement that came out that did feature Arnold, which I thought was actually really, really cool. So uh, I was not expecting that whatsoever. Like, he would be basically featured in a Super Bowl commercial. Do you think about this? Like, you know, uh, if anything, this has been done, like, you know, several decades too too late. I think, you know, where you think the one person you think would be kind of like it would be hilarious to have in a Super Bowl commercial would be Arnold. And mm -hmm. uh, never did I think he'd actually get featured in one, but here he is. And, uh, you know, uh, with Sir Patrick Stewart and Master Chief of all people. Yeah, that's crazy. This is, yeah, this is a really random advert, but it's really cool at the same time. I do like it. So, like, because uh, of course I do. So, I'm really happy to see it. So, um, I guess what probably has caused this is that a lot of people have realized, oh, hey, there's this character. And uh, I didn't realize that, you know, uh, he had his own show. And I guarantee you, probably now a lot of people are now checking it out and seeing what it's all about. So, right. Uh, yeah, I, I think that for people who did not grow up with Hey Arnold and have saw the Super Bowl promotional piece of Patrick Stewart and Master Chief using Arnold as literally a football, people were just like wondering, wait, what is this kid that has a football-shaped head that is being thrown by Patrick Stewart? And so I guess maybe they looked into Paramount+. Plus. And then they saw that there was a show called Hey Arnold. They probably watched the show. They really liked it. And now they want to see probably even more stuff from it than we, we already got from the Jungle movie from several years ago. Yeah, and uh, also more fan outs turning up too uh, of this as well. So, like, uh, you know, this has been done recently. So, like, uh, you know, uh, I think that's uh, what we've had here, I think, has been pretty cool. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's pretty awesome to see that a new generation of people have really gotten into a show that came out decades ago. Like, I'm currently doing my video on From Pilot to Final Product on Avatar The Last Airbender, and I've just finished the page where I was discussing about that. Yeah, even though it was really popular when it first came out in 2005, it wasn't until 2020 when the pandemic hit and when both uh, Avatar and Korra was up on Netflix that a new audience started getting into it and loved it. And now there's the Netflix live action series and then Avatar Studios was started so that there could be more Avatar projects in the future. So, you know what? I mean... And that's pretty awesome to see new people tuning into a show that you grew up with and falling in love with it just as much as what you did back when you were a kid. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that, that warms my heart quite a lot because, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe this new interest will, you know, uh, say to Nickelodeon, oh, hey, we're still interested in, you know, Arnold content. So uh, we don't necessarily get like, you know, we're not, we're, I think, uh, you know, Craig Ballard, as he said in like in the last, you know, uh, hey, you know, hey, Arnold, uh, you know, anniversary show. Uh, said that it was going to be unlikely that uh, we're going to see season six anytime soon. But uh, who knows? Maybe this renewed interest might uh, say to people, hey, we really want to see, you know, more Arnold content. And whether that's going to mean there's going to be a revival or whether there's going to be, you know, anything that might be maybe like a miniseries or whether it be like, you know, another special. You know, like uh, I think uh, any good, you know, news that comes for Hey Arnold, I think, has only got to be good. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing if, you know, this actually, you know, builds up to something. So. Yeah, so yeah. as you guys remember that Michael DiMartino and Brian Kanetsko, after they were finished with Korra, they wanted to move on to different projects. But then when you had the series coming out on Netflix and everybody started tuning into it, they were called back to say, hey, 
Avatar is hot again. Can you do something new for it? And yeah, they were more than happy to do it. And I think that Craig will probably be in a similar situation. It's like, okay, we know that he's finished with Ready, Jet, Go. He did the movie. And I know that the series is done. So uh, we haven't heard any new projects that he was working on when we had him last time. It was around, well, you had him around last October. I had him around last August. Uh, actually, it was the both of us when we talked about the Paul Rubens tribute. But yeah, I mean, since then, I think that Craig might be working on a different project for PBS, but we haven't heard anything yet. But yeah, I mean, if, you know, he got a call from, you know, Paramount saying, hey, you know, Hey Arnold is doing really well because of that Super Bowl promotion. You know, we want to see more stuff from it. I'm sure that he'll be more than happy to, you know, have, you know, Jim and, you know, Rachel and um, Joe and various other people from the Hey Arnold group and maybe even bring back, you know, people such as uh, Justin and Adam and, um you know, various other people who did the voices for it to come back and do the the, the performance. I think that'd be great. Yeah, I think the only thing about it is, is that uh, the Hey Arnold fans have sort of kind of moved on to the Patakis, if you will. Like, uh, they want to see, like, you know, more a more adult version of the show. And uh, I don't know whether, you know, um, the it's sort of kind of like uh, it feels a bit that uh, the, you know, where everyone's kind of sinking towards because now we've had Arnold. And let's be honest, this is not... The Arnold they seem to put on the Super Bowl commercial so it appears to be pre, you know, jungle movie Arnold, from what I can see. So this is before obviously he found his parents. And then you've got the Hey Arnold fans where like, you know, right now are, you know, petitioning and you know, see, you know, say making noise on social media about um doing, you know, um the Pazakis. So um the likelihood is that uh, the one thing that might come of this is that we might get more Hey Arnold content, but it might not be the Patakis and the Hey Arnold fans might not necessarily be happy about that. So but, yeah, that's uh, true. You're right. Well, maybe the one thing, a like, good thing, I might come out is that, uh, you know, hey, Arnold might do, uh, hey, Arnold revival might do very well, and we might get the Patakis off the back of that. The only thing about that is, is that uh, if they decide to change, because keep this in mind, if they do a hey, Arnold reboot, or if they do like a revival or something like that, is that they are going to basically make it where you know um, Arnold is going to be effectively in 2024 or 2025, whenever this thing will basically get released. So um, there's going to be that on top of it and so um you know we, we, then you obviously the you don't know whether the story is going to change in fact they might even make it different where it's like oh it's not going to be the grandparents his parents actually are going to be there and they're explorers mm -hmm. you know so they could change a number of things about it and then if they decide to like you know say oh this is successful and then we're going to do the helga pataki spin-off it might be something completely different from what we originally were pitched with uh you know with the mtv version you know that was similar to daria apparently right so yeah, so um, I don't know. Like uh, at the minute, it's, uh, it's this is all just us talking. Like uh, there's no discussion, uh, you know, officially that you know they would want to do any more hey on old stuff. But uh, I've got to be honest, if uh, if the Super Bowl ad has regenerated interest in Hey Arnold, and now more people are watching it this week, and who knows, maybe it might continue to uh, garner an audience as they as it starts to. Uh, as you know, the people start to recommend it on social media, or people say they are watching it again. Who knows? You know, like uh, this, the we could be entering into something positive here. Yeah, I I do agree, and I think that if we are going to be entering into a new era of fans 
tuning into Hey Arnold for literally the first time, then yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to see what direction that Craig wants to do. I, I remember just recently watching um, a video of somebody talking about Fiona and Cake, and I saw one comment saying, you know what? This is what shows should be doing. They should be growing up with their audience. They shouldn't just be rebranding their shows to quote-unquote cater to new generations. I'm actually curious about that. Like, I mean, yeah, we've had a lot of um, you know, TV shows and movies that have been around for a very long time. And over time, you know, they do have to cater to new generations. So I'm, but then you have the rare case in which Adventure Time has been around for 13 years. But instead of like, hey, we're going to have a new Adventure Time for the younger audience, they're just going to continue on from the original story and have um, more mature themes than what they were able to do the first time. So yeah, I'm actually curious. Would you prefer to see a new version of Hey Arnold for a new generation? Or would you like to see a continuation of Hey Arnold, but for the people who grew up with it? Maybe it could be a mixture of both. Hmm, could be. Yeah. I would like to see that for sure. I think that that would be a really nice idea to have a, a mixture of both. That way, you know, it can cater towards the people who grew up with it and it can cater to new audiences. Because let's be honest, I mean, Adventure Time is going to be a really hard series to get into, especially if you're just going to watch Fiona and Cake first, which, by the way, don't do that. You really need to watch all 13 seasons and then the specials in order for you to understand what the story is. So, yeah, I, I think that um, if you can have a mixture of both for if Hey Arnold does come back, I think that'd be a really great idea. Yeah, well, uh, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's go over to our next bit of news. So, yeah, going into the whole Nickelodeon thing again. So, yeah, it's been 25 years since Nick Gas, which was a former channel for Nickelodeon, had aired for the very first time. So, yeah, for those who are not familiar with Nick Gas, so Nick Gas stands for Nickelodeon Games and Sports. So it started around 1999, and it was an opportunity for people to tune into game shows and sports uh, sports uh, uh, shows as well so we would have like old reruns of, of Nickelodeon Guts Legends of the Hidden Temple figure it out get the picture Double Dare 2000 Nick Arcade and Finders Keepers as well as having exclusive news shows that we you know that was only available on Nick Gas such as Scaredy Camp. And then there was also an inch, uh, a mixture of sports programs. Like they had reruns of Rocket Power. They had um, reruns of Speed Racer X and Salute Your Shorts and various other programs. And then they also aired uh, the reruns of Nickelodeon Robot Wars, which was adapted from the UK show into Nickelodeon Gas. So, yeah, I remember that a lot of people were really tuning into Nick Gas because, you know, not only did it have the opportunity for people to watch the old game shows from the 80s and 90s for the very first time because they weren't airing it on Nickelodeon anymore, but also... It was able to showcase for an audience like all the cool sports stuff that was pretty big at the time. You have to remember that the late 90s and early 2000s and extreme sports was hugely popular. Like, you know, Rocket Power was like one of the biggest shows at the time because it showcased skateboarding and snowboarding and rollerblading and biking and all that kind of stuff. And so it was catering to that audience. And it was pretty popular because of that. And then it shut down in 2007 when they decided to replace it with The N, which was the essentially like Nickelodeon's version of 
their uh the teenage uh block which it had various shows such as like um reruns of the adventures of pete and pete and it had um degrassi the next generation and various other programs and yeah unfortunately since then we hadn't had a version of Ned Gas until 2019 in which uh, Pluto TV revived it as Nick Games, but then that was shut down literally like a few months later in 2020. So, yeah, I think that we have to thank Nickelodeon Gas for multiple reasons. First of all, if it wasn't for the re-airings of all of these classic game shows from Nickelodeon, they would be considered lost media. Because if you remember from back then in which that... Um, the early 90s, the only way you can be able to rewatch something is if you recorded it on VHS or wait for a rerun. But by the late 90s or the early 2000s, these shows weren't running anymore. And so we had something like Nick Gass that was able to show these reruns and people had the opportunity to record these old programs again. Nowadays, you have a lot of these on you know, uh, Paramount Plus, like um, you know, a lot of classic episodes of Double Dare and even with uh, various other game shows, but a lot of other like short-lived game shows such as Scaredy Camp is not available on Paramount+. Plus. So people had to tune into old reruns of what was shown on Nick Gass in order for them to tune into. So yeah, I, I think that uh, Nick Gass was popular back then, and I, I know a lot of people still miss it to this day. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, I mean, so did you have Nick Gas on? Uh, uh, no, I don't think we did. I was actually, I was going to make a joke about it, really, because like, uh, you know, uh, Nick Gas. I mean, what do they have their own gas stations? That even because of their own hotels? <laughs> yeah, no, no, it had nothing to do with that. No, it was, um, it was just gas that stood for games and sports. I mean, I know the, that you the, can make the a games joke. that you probably we will be probably were being referring to back in the day probably would have been the Flash games on the Nickelodeon website. That mm -hmm. probably what we've probably been been, been doing, right? You know? So. Yeah, so um, I guess in a way we have to, th I mean, for a lot of people who like to archive, you know, old television shows onto like various websites, they have to thank Nick Gass for that because it was thanks to them that, you know, before Paramount Plus came out and Pluto TV, that was the only way and people can be able to watch these programs. And yeah, I mean, even I, I remember seeing a tweet from Pop Arena years ago saying like, you know, if it wasn't for Nick Gass, I mean, we would be struggling to even find episodes of Double Dare, Legends of the Hidden Temple, Nickelodeon Guts, Finders Keepers, Make the Grade, um, You're On, and various other game shows if it wasn't for dedicated people who would like, you know, stay home and have their VHSs recording constantly so that they can be able to upload it to the internet years later. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it did help a lot in hindsight, but yeah, I think that para uh, thanks to like various streaming sites, we are able to watch it. But I mean, it's kind of a bit of a, you know, um, you know, unstable situation because as you guys know, just recently on Paramount Plus, they started removing a lot of their programs again. Like Back to the Barnyard, Planet Sheen, Ver um, Robot and Monster, those shows are removed from Paramount Plus. I mean, I know that those shows are not good, but there were people who were genuinely upset that those things were removed. And, you know, those programs are not on DVD, by the way. So it's rough. I mean, if, you know, Legends of the Hidden Temple, Double Dare, Nickelodeon, Guts, and all those shows were removed from Paramount Plus, heaven forbid, we have no DVDs or VHS releases of those. So again, we're going to have to rely on old recordings on from Nickelodeon gas to watch it. So yeah, if you still have old recordings of it on YouTube that you kept from 10 years ago, 
keep it close because that's the only way we can watch it at the moment if ever if that ever happens heaven forbid mm. yeah. anyway so yeah um i'm actually curious i mean i i mean i know that we've been wanting to do a podcast for so long about like comparing the british game shows to the american game shows that we both grew up with but are, i mean were you ever familiar with any of the game shows that came out on nickelodeon in the 90s um i mean like uh, what, what the the uk ones or the the american ones the american ones um uh, well I'm trying to remember. I, I know there was Guts, and I know there was um, Double, Dare. Double Dare, and I Legends know there was the Temple. The, the, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the the, the staples, but uh, not not all of them. So. Okay, yeah, and uh, yeah, and I know that there were a lot of other UK game shows that came out around the '90s that you grew up with that I have no idea about. Like, I didn't even know about the um, the what you call it, uh, the the maze one. I didn't even know about that one at all. Oh yeah. Yeah, I didn't even know good. about that one until like we had an American version that was like short lived, but yours was a lot more popular. Mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah. So yeah. So uh, other than that, um, we just want to say uh, happy 25th anniversary to Nick Gas. Uh, for a while, it was a pretty cool thing to tune into for those who are into like the old game shows from the 90s and also for people who are really into extreme sports. But nowadays, it's actually a blessing in disguise that we were able to record some old things from it because before paramount plus before pluto tv th these were the only ways that you can be able to tune in and watch it on youtube mm -hmm. okay so going into more sad news i know our favorite segments so playstation just recently announced that they're laying off 900 employees from multiple studios insomniac naughty dog gorilla fire sprite and their London studio is completely shut down. Yeah. So have they explained why they're doing this? Yeah. I'm just going to pull up the article right now for those who are interested in tuning into it. So this is courtesy of um, Game Informer. Here we go. So Game Informer had just recently announced on why that they're doing these, um, you know, major firings. So PlayStation technology creative and supportive teams are also affected by the layoffs. Um, according to PlayStation Studios' Herman Holtz, he, cites the, he seems to cite that the reason why that the layoffs were happening was because of overgrowth. The layoffs are resulting in an 8% reduction of staff, or 900 jobs. Our goal at PlayStation Studios has always been to make the best games for PlayStation fans, and our global community of studios represented some of the most creative and talented teams within the games industry. PlayStation 5 is in its fourth year, and we're at a stage that we need to step back and look at what our business needs. At the same time, our industry is experiencing continuing and fundamental change, which we um, which affects how we create and play games. Delivering the immersed narrative-driven stories a PlayStation Studios is known for, the quality bar that we aspire to needs a reevaluation on how we operate. Delivering and sustaining social online experiences allowing PlayStation gamers to explore our worlds in different ways, as well as launching games on additional devices such as PC and mobile, requires a different approach and different resources. To take on these challenges, we have to grow. And then he continues saying that the growth itself is not an ambition likely alluding to overgrowth within PlayStation Studios as a reason for the layoffs. And then he also says that PlayStation has looked into studios and portfolio to evaluate projects in various stages of development and decided that some of the projects will not be moving forward. And then PlayStation even made a statement from Sony Interactive President and CEO Jim Ryan, who is actually departing from the company this spring. 
And he even says in the email, the PlayStation community means everything to us, so I felt it was an important decision to update you on a difficult day in our company. We made the extremely hard decision to announce our plan to commence a reduction of our overall headcount globally by about 8% or 900 people. And, you know, it just goes more into, like, that it's sad news and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And now for the UK, the PlayStation Studios London studio is going to close in its entirety. There'll be reductions on um, several studios, including Insomniac, Naughty Dog, Gorilla, and Fire Sprite. There'll be reductions in various functions across um, SIE in the UK. In Japan, we will implement a next career support program. And in other countries, we'll begin conversations to those who are potentially at risk and impacted as a result of this action. This will not be easy, and I'm aware of the impact of its well-being. Effective employees will receive support, including severance benefits. While these are challenging times, it is not an indicative of lack of strength of our company, our brand, or of our industry. Our goal is to remain agile and adaptable and to continue to focus on delivering the best gaming experiences possible now and in the future. Thank you for understanding this difficult period. Please be kind to yourselves and for each other. I mean, that, that makes no sense. How can it be a case of, like, um, you know, uh, oh, this is not a uh um a uh, uh yeah that makes totally no sense I'm, I'm taken back by that how can it be a case of like oh well um it's not the problem with the company it's just the fact that we want to be more agile like yeah. uh, it's just it's a uh, you couldn't relocate these people yeah so apparently the reason why these layoffs are going on is because they have too many people and they think it's going to overbloat their production no, that doesn't make any sense. You need more people so that you can be able to have a much more smoother process of making your games as opposed to using crunch time, which is what Naughty Dog has been apparently been criticized for when making The Last of Us 2. So I don't get this. I really yeah. don't understand this. I just uh, I just think that uh, what on earth, you know, uh, how, how can this be justified that... Uh, you know, they, they are letting go of these people. Like, um, these positions, I probably imagine, are going to... I mean, what are they going to do? Are they going to re? Are they going to rehire these... Are these, uh, going to right, put these jobs back up for... Uh... Uh, for, 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 you know, for back in the you know, career section? I mean, like, what, I, what are they going to do? I, I don't... I, I'm, I'm, ta I'm taken aback by that, to be honest with you, that response. It's like, it's just... It would be, you know, it's like, oh, well, uh, you know, some of our games that we've done haven't been doing so well. Like, uh, I would probably understand that, and they've had to basically make these really difficult decisions. But, uh, yeah, that, that that just perplexes me. It really yeah, does. Yeah, it, it does perplex me. Considering that we have an, a statement coming from somebody who's saying that, oh, we're just letting people go because we want to have a much more agile structure and we're moving on to other creative ad avenues. Well, at the same time, you're just going to shut down an entire studio for doing their work? That that sucks. That I really know. does. That, suck. That's that's terrible. That's, uh, so but, yeah. You know, and so, he, and, you Sony's know, a like... Sony's a juggernaut, and so I guess they can do whatever they please. But uh, yeah, I think it's uh, he's left a lot of unhappy people in their wake. So. Oh boy, like that's that's just terrible. You know what? I, I recently just read an article the other day. I, this has nothing to do with what we're going to be talking about later on, but in Japan. Do you know what the number one, like, highest grossing company in Japan is? Probably. Well, I mean, it's Nintendo, but... Yes, uh, it yeah. is Nintendo. Nintendo is the highest grossing company in Japan. 
like you know past cars past electronics past major conglomerate businesses doing various things nintendo a video game company is the highest grossing company in an entire country and do you hear news about Nintendo letting go their workers because oh they need to downsize or oh um we're gonna like yeah they but of- so, so so Nintendo's not Sony is a very different company to Nintendo Sony has got like multiple divisions and has like its hands in all sorts of things it's not just the games and so um, I understand where you're coming from but uh, Sony have very different challenges compared to Nintendo. In regards to all this, I guess that's true. You're right because Sony not only just does games, but they also Nintendo really just got into the movie business. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Sony meanwhile has televisions, they have phones, they have computers, they have radios and speakers, and I guess guess you're right. They are an electronic company at the end. Yeah, but uh, I mean, just hearing the fact. Yeah, I think comparing Sony to Nintendo, I think, is uh, missing the point. I think uh, with um, with Sony, they obviously have. Their own. But the thing is that Sony right now are not complaining of the fact that they're having like any like you know financial aches. So yeah, these uh, layoffs don't really make all that much sense, really. And uh, so um, you know, it, I would maybe understood if they said, yeah, we need to really relocate these employees to like different places because we want to change our working practices. Then you know, fine, fair, fair enough. But uh, I mean, they should at least give people the opportunity to actually try and do that before saying you're going to let them go. I would have yeah. thought. I, I don't get it. I mean, like, don't you have other studios that you can, like, have some of the people work at? Apparently not. I guess not. Great. Yeah, uh, another chapter into why the video game industry is going into the toilet. So, yeah, let's just move on. Okay. Okay, so we have recent news about what their next, uh, what Pixar's next project is going to be after they're done with uh, Inside Out 2 and Elio. They're going to be doing their first ever musical called Ducks. Cool. So um, people already are poking fun of the fact that we've had migration. And again, I've not seen migration and uh, it it never really appealed to me. So obviously I wasn't going to go see it. But, um, you know, um, now all of a sudden Pixar, after the you know migration comes out, all of a sudden Pixar announces docs. People are comparing this to like, you know, an ants, you know, a bug life situation. Yeah, uh, and, and not to mention that somebody actually posted um, a joke about this this announcement saying, yeah, guess what? Jimmy Neutron actually had a musical called Ducks. And you have that scene in which when uh, Jimmy, you know, has uh, is going to be like um, all by himself while his parents go out to go see a musical called Ducks. So, yeah, you have a... It's kind of bad when a Pixar movie announces that they're going to be doing their first musical about ducks, and then you're going to have comparisons to not only migration, but to a freaking Jimmy Neutron joke. Yeah. A, a t- animated series that came out 20 years ago, by the way. Mm-hmm. I just think that uh, at this point, um, you know, uh, I guess, you know, Pixar are going to attempt to try and do something, but uh, in regards to, like, you know, obviously they've got, they've got Inside Out 2 coming out, and then they've got Elio, and, uh, but uh, then. Where are they, are they going to go from there? And uh, it looks like, you know, uh, Ducks is going to be the next thing. But uh, I mean, this is is this like the actual official title of this of this movie? Or is it going to be is this just like what the tentative name of this movie is going to be? And eventually, just a, I'm sure it's just a tentative name at the moment. Yeah. So uh, I think uh, eventually, well, I mean, right now we have a name and uh, what is actually going to take turn into. We don't know yet, but uh, we'll uh, I'm sure we'll find out. 
Yeah, like we literally just heard this announcement just this past week. So we know nothing about um, the musical. We know we don't even know who's going to be writing the music. So again, we can't really speculate anything until we actually get like a detailed announcement from somebody who is working on the film. Mm hmm. Yeah, so uh, I guess the only thing that we have so far in terms of, you know, this announcement is that, you know, it's going to be possibly coming out either in 2026 or 2027. So, yeah, again, it's going to probably be a long while before we hear anything about this. Yeah, but uh, I think, um, you know, the fact that uh, Pixar are still going to try with... By the way, have they actually announced who's going to be working on this movie or like who's going to be involved? Or is it just mm -hmm. basically just the title? It's just the title. That's literally it. It's just the title. Okay, I've said my piece. All right, I've said my piece too. Let's move on. All right, so next bit of news. So the 35th anniversary of This is Spinal Tap, one of the most important mockumentaries ever created. Yeah, I think, uh, and uh, you know, funny enough, like, when This is Spinal Tap, you know, came out, like, uh, this has been the inspiration for, like, all sorts of media, like, uh, you know, where they appeared on The Simpsons, and uh, there's been, like, various other movies that have, like, uh, you know, um, you know, kind of, like, tried to be This is Spinal Tap, and uh, so this is um, not the, you know, the, this has actually had, so I think it's kind of, like, nearly, nearly probably even more, you know, the same, uh, you know, um, um effect on you know uh on 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 conversations within media it's probably the same as the great Lebowski probably did yeah exactly you know, like yeah. whenever that you hear the term about let's crank it up to 11 that's where it came from yeah it came from spinal tap mm -hmm. yeah so essentially what is spinal tap for those who are interested so it's about a british rock group who started off kind of humbly like around maybe the 60s and then throughout the course of the 70s and 80s they started like changing their genres to become even more and more popular but then a whole bunch of things just happened to them that is really badly like they keep losing some band members and um, they have a lot of shows canceling due to low ticket sales and then they're resorted into like performing for what was it like a nursing home or a birthday party and then they're just being booed at and then there's also the fact that every single time that they're releasing an album, it's pretty unrecognizable. There's even one that is released that is all black. <laughs> they can't even see it. It's like, what's darker than black? Nothing. So, yeah, it's a really, really funny film that that taps into like a parody of like a lot of rock and roll documentaries that were coming out during the 70s like the song remains the same which was a documentary about led zeppelin the last waltz which was a documentary about the band and then there was all you need is cash which is a documentary it was kind of like a fictitious documentary very similar to this is final tap where it was trying to make fun of the beatles you know with the rudies so yeah it's kind of like that in a way so so, yeah, it was basically like uh, popping into, you know, doing parodies of what was popular at the time, kind of like similar to what Weird Al did in which he he did the the Weird Al, um, you know, um, the, the Weird Al movie that we talked about a few years ago, where it was basically like a parody of all those um, biopics that were coming out that were really popular. Like there was the one about Elton John with Rocket Man. There was uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, which was the document, the, um, the biopic on Queen. Then there was a lot of biopics on Steve Jobs and um so many others so yeah i guess it's kind of like a similar equivalent to that 
Yeah, and uh, you know, so like uh, there was also various other. You know, I think uh, Mike Bassett's the England manager. That was like uh, the uh, the British, um, you know, mockumentary movie that uh, you know was it was in two thousand one starring uh, uh, Ricky Tomlinson. Like uh, that was also, I guess you could say that was sort of kind of like you know a, um, a, a sort of like you know spin on this is final tap in phase. You know, for him following you know an England manager trying to like you know win the World Cup. Yeah, and oh. then there was also the Naked Brothers Band, which was a mockumentary of an, all those, like, popular kid, um, you know, like, singers who, like, broke into the mainstream, you know, like, oh, you have these, like, cute little brothers, and they have a band together, and then all the girls are swarming over them, and then Nickelodeon made a TV series about that same thing, so, yeah, I mean, mockumentaries have, you know, is still persisting even to this very day. So it's not too much of a surprise that something like this is spinal spinal tap was able to carry on the tradition of, Hey, this thing that is on the media right now is really popular. Let's just mock the hell out of it. Yeah. I was reading this apparently, uh, according to, uh, you know, some people within the Harry Potter, uh, um, you know, community, they say that, uh, apparently spinal tap series of drummers was an inspiration for uh, every time, you know, something bad happened to a teacher in, in defense of the dark arts at Hogwarts, it would cause them to leave the job without completing a full school. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so J.K. Rowling decided to get her inspiration of having a defense against the dark arts teacher leaving every school semester because of this is Spinal Tap. Yeah, Brilliant. exactly. It's just it's uh, that, that's how much uh, you know uh, you know cultural uh, impact that this is Spinal Tap has had. Like uh, I would say that probably you know uh, if you even if you haven't seen the the mockumentary, I mean uh, at least you would have heard it at least somewhere in media. Like mm -hmm. uh, it's 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 that notorious, you know, of of a movie. Yeah, it is very notorious. And, you know, Rob Reiner, this is one of his magnum opuses in directing his films. I know he's known for a lot of romantic comedy films or coming-of-age drama like Stand By Me or The Princess Bride or When Harry Met Sally, but this, uh, this is like one of the very few times in which he has done a comedy slash mockumentary very well. It's it's very commendable of him because this is something a little bit different from what he's, uh, you know, known for directing. So it's actually pretty hilarious. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, so yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, like happy thirtieth anniversary to this is Spinal Tap. Yeah, and uh, I think anyone who hasn't checked it out already, I mean, you should definitely check it out. And uh, oh yeah, for just, sure, uh, yeah. you should check it out. It's still really hilarious, even to this day. Uh, I think that anybody who isn't even familiar with this is Spinal Tap, you would know about some of the references, like let's crank this up to eleven, or you know, um, just all the tropes that you would see in a typical, um, you know, mockumentary project. So yeah, uh, there are various ways that you can see it. It's on DVD and Blu-ray. You can watch it on AMC Plus or Philo, or you can rent it on YouTube for a few dollars. So yeah, go check it out. It's it's still really great. Yeah. Someone else has also recommended me. Apparently, there's another mockumentary called Best in Show, which was like a two thousand. Um documentary uh, apparently about a dog show oh i've heard about that movie yeah so yeah th there's there's i have not seen that movie i have heard of it though mm -hmm. all right so yeah let's talk about the uh the next bit of news so this is interesting because i didn't think it was going to be released like an, an announcement this soon so you remember the success of mutant mayhem about how um it was a it was a movie that was able to tell the origins of the turtles in a very unique way and we already talked about how they're going to be getting a new animated series on nickelodeon well so lo and behold we are going to have a sequel to mutant mayhem coming out on october 9th 2026 Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really excited for that because uh, I mean, I watched Mutant Mayhem like on the on the plane when I was coming over to uh, you know marry my uh, 
wonderful wife here. And uh, so um, when um, I saw it, um, you know, uh, I just thought, yeah, this definitely deserves, you know, some continuation. And then we got the TV series after that. And uh, so uh, I'm really excited to know that. So there's going to be a sequel coming out in 2026. I think uh, that's uh, definitely going to get people pumping. I think. Yeah, for, for sure. So um it was able to earn around 180 million dollars when it reached um in theaters and it had a 70 million dollar budget so yeah it was able to essentially double its budget and we know that there's going to be the animated series on paramount plus so yeah i guess it's not too much of a surprise that they are thinking about like hey let's see if we can be able to make a sequel of this which by the way it rarely happens that we get to see a sequel to TMNT, unless, of course, you're going to count the Michael Bay films where that didn't have a sequel as well. But um, yeah, it even says it right here on Screen Rant. TMNT Mutant Mayhem 2 is breaking a 21-year franchise sequel record where it's saying that... Um, uh, the announcement of Mutant Mayhem 2 is in development, breaks a long-standing 21-year franchise sequel record where... Um, you know, over the years, there have been 10 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles TV shows and seven films. Despite underperforming at the box office, the latest installment of Mutant Mayhem sits at 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. And Mutant Mayhem's 2026 release day gives a sequel gap where historically all Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles films were released one or two years within the first film. The first ever TMNT was released in 1990 and it had two sequels. And then it was released one year later in 91 with Secrets of the Ooze. And then two years later with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Another example with 2014 was the, um, you know, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles um, Out of the Shadows, which was the Michael Bay film that came out two years afterwards. And yeah, it, it seems like we're going to be getting a, a continuous amount of films that have done really well into in the point at which they're going to be releasing a sequel in the next few years because it generated a lot of money and a lot of buzz. So, yeah, I think that it could be promising that, you know, this could be a new series of turtles for a new generation because this has never happened in which like you have the movies and then you have the show being a part of the same universe. They've always been in different universes. Like, you know, the 1990 turtles had nothing to do with the eighties turtles on TV or the 2003 turtles had nothing to do with the 2007 animated movie or the 2012 series had nothing to do with the Michael Bay films. This will be the first time in turtles history in which the movie, the, animated series and its sequel are all the same turtles that is astonishing this has never happened before and the turtles have been around for almost 40 years yeah and uh, i mean the, the the next port of call i mean here's the thing about this like uh, do they cash in on spider-verse and they decide to do turtle verse do you mm. think that would be interesting because this is the, and they have done this before in the past in which the 2000s turtles met up with the 80s turtles and then I was going to bring that up actually and then they yeah. came to the, like the comic book turtles and all everything like that so like uh, I mean dare, I mean like do they do that but uh, I just wanted that up as a, as a small thing I thought I mean know, like that it. could be a possibility because turtles have branched out in so many multiverses like you could have the 80s that you could have the 80s turtles you could have the 2000s turtles you could have the 2012 turtles you can have the next mutation turtles with mo uh, with uh, Venus de Milo, if you want to count that one, we can have the 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 one that was the the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle series that came out in Japan. We can have um, the video game turtles, like you can have the comic book turtles. The, the possibilities are endless. I think that 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 would be a really interesting idea if all the turtles were able to come together and have like this huge major fight against some major adversary. I think that'd be an awesome idea.
Yeah. Anyway, um, to celebrate the fact that we are going to be getting a sequel, um, Collider.com uh, in August of 2023 did a um, every Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie ranked. So uh, Ooh, shall we? Interesting. Shall we go through all the movies and uh, see where they end up and see if we agree with where they end up? Oh yeah, for sure. Let's do it. Okay. Number nine on this list. So this is like the worst TMNT movies. So uh, um, number nine on this list is uh, TMNT Three Turtles in Time. Okay, so yeah, there's a lot of reasons on why this. Movie uh, you're was expecting bad. the Adams family. <laughs> it's Wet Willy time. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. The movie. Okay, so yeah, it's pretty bad. It's very cheesy. It's very hokey, and not to mention that it decides that it was going to change the formula of turtles, where it was going to have them going back in time to feudal Japan. And then you have in the mixture a samurai and a cowboy as the main villain, and they're just cracking a whole bunch of stupid jokes, and it's it's just really lame. Especially when you have the two previous movies, which were awesome. Like the first TMNT movie was able to take like cues from the comic books, which was a lot more darker and serious. And then Secrets of the Ooze, they, it was a little bit more dumbed down because they were catering more toward the animated series where it was a little bit goofy, but at the same time, it was a lot of fun. And of course, a lot of people still remember the Vanilla Ice Ninja rap song. They even referenced it in Mutant Mayhem. That's how much of a cultural uh, icon it is. So yeah, those two movies were able to have something that people were able to enjoy, but this one is uh, not very much so, to the point in which when James Rolfe, when he was the angry movie nerd, decided to like do this movie a major thrashing and slice the VHS in half with a samurai sword. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. so yeah, it's pretty bad. It's yeah, it's... not a not a good movie. No, it's not. It's not yeah. a good movie. Okay. Um, number eight in this list is TMNT twenty fourteen. This is the Michael Bay movie. Oh yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm sure I would highly recommend go check out Rebel Taxi's latest video on the controversies of the 2014 film because he talks about all of the major changes that they were planning on doing for Turtles. I, I, in fact, Kevin and I were even talking about it in Turtle Talk when we had that podcast many years ago where they wanted to make them aliens and they wanted to make a white guy Shredder and they wanted to do all of these changes because hey transformers turned out to be a major success let's see if we can do the same thing for turtles but fan backlash was so bad on the decisions that they wanted to do that they decided to reel it in and make all of the changes literally at the last minute so yeah no don't worry that the turtles are not aliens and the, the white guy is not going to be shredder no even though that he's looks like he's going to be our main bad guy no he's just a side character to the bad guy who literally shows up at the last minute so yeah, the movie's a mess. It's yeah. a it's a it's a major mess. Mm -hmm. Number seven in this list is a TMNT 2016 Out of the Shadows. Yeah, that this is the sequel to the Michael Bay film, and yeah, it, it's slightly better, but it's not very good. It, yeah. It's there's just a lot of uh, things that they were able to add into it that was able to better it from the first movie, but I mean, it's it it's still a not very good film. I mean, that, that's just the thing about Michael Bay is that he uses a lot more spectacle than opposed to like story and characters and, you know, things that we actually should care about when you're watching something to be invested in. So yeah, slightly better, but not by much. Yeah. Number six in this list is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, 1991. Okay, so yeah, as I mentioned before, it was a bit of a downgrade compared to the first one in 1990, but they that's tried to because... make it appeal more to kids. They, they did yeah. appeal it to more kids because 
the first movie they did a lot of things that was a little bit quote-unquote scary for the young audience like oh we can't have the turtles swearing we can't have smoking we can't have you know violence oh no that that stuff is bad but yeah they decided to like ease it for a much more younger audience and they decided to take cues from the animated series to make it a much more lighter affair and instead of bebop and rocksteady we had toka and razor which you know kind of look like bebop and rocksteady but they decided to make them new mutants and they would carry on into um, other incarnations of the Turtles, but yeah, it's kind of a downgrade from the first movie, but at least it, it did have a lot of fun moments, but yeah, not as good as the first movie. Yeah. Number five in this list is TMNT 2007. Okay, so yeah, this was around the time in which when the two thousand two, the 2003 series was leaning more towards what Peter Laird wanted, you know, a much more serious take on the Turtles for a new generation. And it was winding down and it was leaning over towards that, you know, oh, that we're going to have the Turtles in the future, which was stupid and don't watch it. It's awful. But before that, we had a movie that was going to be like a new continuation of the Turtles kind of from the 2003 series, but then they decided to make it kind of like a standalone feature where they're much more mature and they're going through a lot of struggles with them being separated when Leonardo decided that he wanted to go away for a few years and focus on being a great leader. And they the, the other Turtles didn't know what to do after he left. And so we have this, um you know, major bad guy who wanted to be able to, you know, take control of this ma massive power that he found in a museum and, you know, we have the turtles trying to fight off each other and then eventually teaming up again. So there's a lot of cool things about it. But at the same time, it's pretty boring. There's not really much that happens. It, it just like plays off the same monotonous thing about like, OK, now the turtles, uh, you know, Raphael and Leonardo are fighting. Le uh, Raphael is always sleeping all the time. What's going on with him? Oh, it, it turns out he's leading a double life where he's trying to fight off against crime. And Leonardo is shocked by this. And so they have a fight with one another. And you know, then we have the the villain character who's not the Shredder or any of the iconic characters that we would know from the other series. And he's even though he's played by Patrick Stewart, he's not that memorable. And, you know, and we have April and Casey who are barely in the film. And we I don't know. It's just they, they I know that they were trying to do something new with it. But yeah, nobody was really impressed with it. The movie bombed. The studio that was working on it shut down as well. So, yeah, it wasn't good for anybody. I think they were trying to bring Turtles back back for an, a major audience but didn't exactly work out very well so it's just that one turtle movie that pretty much nobody remembers anymore yeah okay number four on this uh, list is a movie i actually thought i found kind of cool it was uh, batman versus the teenage mutant ninja turtles 2019 i thought that it was a really cool movie as well i'm surprised that it's pretty low on this list because i actually really did enjoy it now batman versus tmnt have collaborated with each other in the comics but they've never had a movie about them so seeing them together was actually pretty awesome yeah uh, currently it's uh, one of the very few movies that both say uh, impressive 100 percent approval rating on rotten tomatoes yeah, and and for good reason. It's actually pretty awesome. So I don't want to give major spoilers into it for those who haven't seen it. So, you know, I would recommend that you check it out. It's awesome. Yeah. Number three in this list is a TMNT 1990. It's the first ever Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. 
Yeah, and it's um, and, and yeah, for the longest time, it was like the gold standard of what a TMNT movie should be. It's a dark take on the Ninja Turtles, which was akin to the old comic books from the eighties, and it was able to tell the origins of the turtles really well. It was able to have them in live action for the very first time. And, you know, the animatronics from the Jim Henson Corporation were really well done with the movements of the, of the um, you know, of the, the costumes and the, the characters were really well done. And the, the grittiness of New York City was very realized. And the, the shredder was also very menacing. You have like the, the kid gang that was just very confused because they didn't have anywhere else to go. Kind of like trying to be like their little minions. And it was awesome. It was a great movie. And... It had a really great, um, you know, climactic fight with Splinter versus the Shredder, where the where Splinter was basically able to just like throw him off of the roof, and then the Shredder just get crushed over by the <laughs> by the garbage truck. And you think that, oh wow, this is you know awesome. Like the Shredder is like really really dead. Yeah. And but you know the the, the, the the one thing that makes this movie so great is like it's a combined some like probably the two biggest things: Steve Barron as the director and Jim Henson as as Jim Henson's Creature Shop also like. Providing the the effects, yeah. I think uh, that 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 I think that was a fantastic thing to do, you know, for I, this I do movie. Agree. Yeah, and uh, because like, uh, and also, uh, you know, Jim Henson is known for the Muppets, and don't get me wrong, he's done the Dark Crystal, and he's done like other like you know dark projects, but something like this gritty, like, uh, was not really Jim Henson's mo at the time. I no, mean, so. yeah, and uh, I mean, it's, I'm actually curious if Jim Henson was even able to see this because you know he passed away the same year. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I mean, likely it is. He, I, I don't know. Sure, I don't. I mean, like, because what? What? Year, I mean, what? What month did he pass away? And what month did CBNC come out in 1990? Mm, uh, let me just. I'm just gonna double check because I know that he was going through a lot of illnesses at the time. So, well, he, he, passed, he passed away, away... in May 16th of 1990. So, when did TMNT come out in 1990? Uh, uh, let me just double check. So, TMNT 1990. That would have been, um. See March thirtieth, so he maybe mm. could have seen it. Um, I don't know. I think. Uh, I mean, he was very sick. To be you fair, you know what, what? What are we doing? Let's just ask the question. Let's just ask the question. Uh, did Jim Henson see TMNT nineteen ninety? Um, in a sense, you could say that the TMNT was somewhat dark fairy tale. It's violent. Um, well, he did pose with like some of the characters. Okay. Um, so he, I mean, he was aware of it. Uh, the film was released less than two months before Henson, before Henson's death. So uh, I mean, he must have had a chance. I mean, I don't know, like, because uh, he fell ill very suddenly, didn't he? Like, yeah. uh, no one is expecting him to get sick. So, right. uh, like, uh, so maybe he probably did see it. I'm not, maybe. I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure, but um, if he did have a chance to see it, I mean, I'm sure he would have been really proud of his craft. Yeah, um, I'm sure he always was. Oh. Yeah, for sure. Uh, anyway, no. so yeah, I mean, for the longest time, not, uh, TMNT 1990 for a lot of people was like, oh yeah, no other TMNT movie could top this. But over the years, there have been some additions to that. Yeah. And by the way, we're going to talk about two of them right now. So this is interesting, actually. Number two in this list, according to Collider.com, in regards to every Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ranks, is Turtles Forever 2009. Okay, so yeah, I need to preface this by saying that Turtles Forever is the TV movie that we talked about where essentially the 80s Turtles collaborated with the 2003, uh, 2002 Turtles, and then eventually they collaborated with the comic book Turtles. So yeah, this was a huge deal at the time in which that they have never collaborated in universe together, where you have 
the 2003 Turtles with the 1980s Turtles from both the animated series and the comic books and fighting off against Shredder and the Krang and all of the other classic characters. This was a major reunion. A lot of people really tuned into it at the time. But then there's been some critiques that... It's not very good because of the voice casting. We have to remember that they couldn't bring in the 80s Turtles voices because of union reasons. You remember that the 2003 Turtles were done by four kids, and so it was a lot of non-union actors. And because in the 1980s, a lot of the uh, the actors like Rob Paulson and... Um, you know, um, you had Cam Clark and Barry Gordon and Townsend Coleman. They were union voice actors. They couldn't reprise their roles in the, the Turtles Forever series. And neither could, um, you know, all the other actors. So they had to get sound-alikes. And I know some people were really criticizing that. It's like, it doesn't sound the same. But you have to understand that that's the reason why they couldn't cast them. But other than that, it was a pretty awesome, you know, TV movie to see the Turtles reuniting for the first time. I think I think that's what the appeal of the movie was is that they were able to have this huge you know collaboration together fighting off against the same evil yeah and by the way uh, you can actually uh, get turtles forever actually on dvd and uh, it is available on streaming on amazon.co.uk and uh, also uh, it comes from what i understand it does come with the ultimate collection of uh, tmnt you know uh of the 2009 you know uh, season so All right. uh, cool. yeah okay and going to Collider.com, the number one TMNT movie, I think we can all guess what it is, it's T what we were talking about before, TMNT Mutant Mayhem 2023. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that it had to take 33 years for another movie to top the original 1990 film. To be fair, though, like, I mean, according to this, like, I mean, here's the thing about this. Um, would we put Turtles Forever over TMNT 1990? Um. It's here's the thing Turtles Forever is a TV movie, the, uh, 1990 is a theatrical film. Um, I wouldn't exactly put it above it, so I would no. say that maybe Turtles Forever could probably be at like number three or something. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm probably surprised that they put it at number two. Like, uh, I mean, I would have put it further down the list. I mean, I would put uh, Batman versus Teenage Mutant versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like, you know, in the top three. Yeah, I, I do agree. Yeah, I would say that maybe if you want to move Turtles Forever, like maybe at number four or something, and then put Batman versus TMNT in number three, then I would be happy with it. But yeah, I think that maybe the reason why this person wrote that um, as number two is because, well, I mean, hey, you know, the concept was a really refreshing idea. It's like you have the 80s and the 2000s Turtles collaborating with each other. So maybe that's what they were getting into. But yeah, yeah like, you I, know, TMNT was doing like, you know, uh, versus before Spider-Man was. Pretty much. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, yeah, Mutant Mayhem. I mean, we've talked about this briefly on Aaron and Patricia, but, yeah, they were able to essentially capture the aesthetics of what we have known about the Turtles, but in a very different way. They were able to modernize it with a lot of more modern pop culture references. They were able to change the animation style to a much more fluid presentation. The performances of all the voice actors were great. They were able to make the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles teenagers. Wow, what a concept. Amazing that they haven't done this sooner. So yeah, there was just a lot of things that they were able to implement it into this one that's actually makes it a really great watch. And I think that, um, you know, as far like a debate between like 1990 TMNT versus Mutant Mayhem, I mean, yeah, both of them have their strengths and weaknesses, whereas, like, 1990 TMNT, 
it is akin to the darkness of the comic books. Well, as 2023 uh, Mutant Mayhem is much more lighter in tone, but the presentation is really, really well done. But then again, you have live action versus animated. So it's um, it's a bit of, it's a bit of debate. I'm actually curious to see, you know, which one is able to do really well in terms of being the definitive TMNT experience. Maybe I'll talk to Kevin about that. I think here's the thing about this, though, like, you know, because Mutant Mayhem is 2023. TMNT is 1990. So, yeah. like, uh, you've got a really significant generational gap between these two movies and also everything, like, you know, garnered in between. So, I mean, it is really going to be like, you know, well, which movie did you grow up with kind of thing? Like, you know, there's going to be a lot of young people who grew up with TMNT Mutant Mayhem. It's like, yeah, that's the definitive, you know, Turtles movie. And like, i got to be honest with you, everybody, I would, I would agree after what I've seen. Yeah. So, like, uh, I mean, I, I think, it re again, it really, because you could have grown up in 2009 and Turtles Forever probably would have been your TMNT movie, potentially. And uh, also, you probably could have grown up in, uh, you know, maybe you grew up in 2019 and, like, uh, you know, Batman vs. the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles probably would have been your movie before then, the, before Mutant Mayhem, maybe. And uh, so, I mean, unfortunately, you might have also grown up in, like, you know, in the 2010s and then you used to say that Michael Bay was your idea of TMNT. You dislike Oof. it. Like, yeah, for, I feel I feel bad all bad for you. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, I can kind of understand where people are coming from when they say, you know, oh, hey, this was my TMNT because this is what I grew up with. And it's like, well, yeah, I would say exactly the same thing about my TMNT because that's what I grew up with as well. Mm -hmm. uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, great, great list, by the way, from Collider. And also really excited about uh, the sequel to Mutant Mayhem and what they're able to what they're able to do. Well, I'm really glad they've realized that they've got a got a wonderful you know, you know, uh, generation of TMNT, you know, on their hands and they're going to make the most of it. And they should do. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, uh, we'll we'll just have to wait for the next two years for <laughs> for Mutant Mayhem sequel to see if it can be able to live up to the original. Yeah, well, I think it's worth. I think if it's as good as what we saw before, I think it's going to be worth the wait. Absolutely. And finally, so you remember that uh, spiritual successor to the ZD, the the Zelda CDI games? Are well, but Patricia, uh, before we do that, are people going to be quite curious about the Nintendo Switch hardware leaks? Oh yeah, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> I forgot. Jump in the like, gun so there a little bit. I, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm so excited about this announcement. I guess I forgot about the Nintendo Switch too. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, you know, so, just that, yeah. that little thing that Nintendo was doing that's uh, you know, uh, just like a little nitpick that's, uh, you know, where people are just, you know, get having you know cordial conversations about, you know, no big no big deal. <laughs> okay. Sorry, fair enough. I guess I just jumped the gun on that one. So yeah, the Nintendo Switch 2 just uh, recently had some hardware leaks. So we're it was told that it may even be more powerful than we realized. So a uh, courtesy of Laptop Magazine, uh, we're just going to read off what may be possible stuff that the Nintendo Switch 2 will have. So uh, it says right here that the uh, Nintendo Switch 2 might have these features. Um, the Switch 2 might be having 12 gigabytes of RAM, possibly 512 gigabytes of onboard storage, and DLSS 3.1 support. Now, unfortunately, according to the newly leaked information, the Switch 2 will only have 8 gigabytes of LPDDS of R5 RAM, 64 gigabytes of eMMC storage, and support for DLSS2 and FR, I mean FSR3. The new specs of the 
uh, of the Nintendo Switch, at least the current one, um, has 4 gigabytes of RAM, and 12 gigabytes of RAM seems like the minimum amount needed for future games, and 64 gigabytes of eMMC storage, as it will help Nintendo keep the initial cost down, allow people to spend extra only if they want to keep the extra space. Now, it's now there's a possibility that the Nintendo Switch 2 hardware might be able to support DLSS 3.1, but most games won't probably utilize it because it'll hamper game performance. And that the console's 10M SMS, which is streaming multiprocessors, could further prevent future games from running smoothly on consoles. Uh, in addition to that, there's going to be like a Cortex A7, A3, A3, which is going to be reserved for OS and 10 SM Ampere 1.4 to 2 teraflops. There's just a lot of other things that might be impl Im Im implemented into the Nintendo Switch. Some of them might be similar designs to the OLED. There's even some rumors that it might be fully backwards compatible with an accessory. So, again, that's what we hear about for now. Yeah, and again, these are all rumors at this point. I mean, like, uh, the, the latest thing that I'm also seeing on the, on the uh, uh, according to, to Metro.co.uk's data, the Nintendo Switch 2 potentially could be as powerful as the Xbox Series S, according to this. So, like, uh, I mean, that's, that's a pretty ballsy statement to actually put out there. So, again, I mean, like, these are things that we've heard about. I mean, like, whether they're actually true or not. I mean, it'd be interesting, like, uh, because if they do make it, as powerful as like you know the the current generation of consoles like you know the the PS5 and you know the uh, the Xbox Series X I mean like uh, that's I mean it's going to be interesting to see how big this device is going to be it's going to be interesting to see how much power this thing's going to have to uh, you know take in like you know how many how, how much uh, battery life you know the the device is actually going to have and uh, you know um, keep in mind because you know Nintendo try basically to create uh, the the greatest entertainment humanly possible with like you know the the basics of equipment effectively mm -hmm. like you know that's what we ended up with the Wii and look how well successful the Wii was effectively so I think you know um, if Nintendo have got the possibility to create something that's really truly phenomenally you know uh, graphical and uh, are going to be able to put it basically into this second console and. Um, be able to, you know, uh, advertise advertise that as like a, you know the same way as the Switch, and uh, but just with a more powerful, being a more powerful machine. I mean, I think that will definitely, you know, excite the Nintendo fans. But I mean, I think for I mean the the outside, keep this in mind, like because Nintendo, you know, when it first set up with the Wii, um, it was obviously a brand new way of playing games, and uh, was a very different thing to do that. So. Um, I think what they're going to have to next do is like, okay, you've got the hardware, but what is going to basically be, you know, uh, not the gimmick. I think it's unfair to call it a gimmick. I think it's more like, uh, what is going to make this different from parting everybody from their Nintendo Switch? Or even if, if you're going to be like, you know, going after the competition, how are you gonna, people going to part, you know, even more people from their Xbox? How are you going to people part people from their PlayStation and say like, you know, oh, hey, for the holiday season or whenever you're going to release this thing that, uh, you know, you're going to be saying, hey, I want to uh, buy an, a, you know, a Nintendo product and not a Sony or not an Xbox product. So... I mean, like, mm -hmm. uh, hardware's one thing. I think, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, the the consumer, I think, uh, the interpretation of what they think Nintendo products should be is another. So Right. Yeah. So, again, you know, take all of this with a grain of salt. But, uh, hey, it's exciting news that uh, potentially what we're going to have here is uh, going to be far more powerful than what we've had previously. That's so. for sure, yeah. Especially since, yeah, I mean, I know that Nintendo tends to use the... Um, the statement of lateral 
um, you know, thinking with wither technology where, hey, you know, we're going to push the limits of con uh, of um, technology that was around generations ago so that they can be able to make their games. But, you know, the fact that maybe it could be on par with current consoles could be a possibility that maybe they're going to shift into something a little bit better. So who knows? But that's still a good thing because uh, if you're going to, again, like if Nintendo are very good at creating unique products. I mean, okay, there was the Virtual Boy, and yes, there was the Wii U, and yes, there's been some there's been some consoles out there, out there or Nintendo products I've been out there that have not been so great. I, I totally get that, but uh, I mean, the uh, you can't say that what Nintendo have uh, tried to do hasn't been imaginative. You know, like, yeah. uh, so I think that's uh, what everyone's going to be excited about. Like, you know, what is going to come out of like uh, you know the imagination of uh, of Nintendo, and uh, what are they going to bring us next? I think that's what's going to excite people. Absolutely. And finally, now we can go into this conversation. So Yeah, you can finally do the thing. I know, I can <laughs> do the thing. Julie, do the thing. So, you remember that CDI game for the Legend of Zelda games that were permeating throughout the internet about, like, the 2000s and the 2010s? Where, hey, you remember when Nintendo was going to be doing a CD add-on for the Super Nintendo with Sony, and then they decided to drop out and do it with Philips, and then they decided, yeah, let's just not do the CD add-on, and so Philips still had the opportunity to do the Mario and Zelda games anyway. Yeah, you know what? Uh that games that people have pretty much just ripped to shreds on the internet. Well, mm. apparently uh, the same people who decided to do PC releases of those games decided to do a spiritual successor to the CDA games called RZ The Jewels of Fairmore. It just came out a few weeks ago on February 14th, and already there are YouTube poops of it. Yeah, and uh, I mean, this was inevitable. Here's the thing about this. I was saying this before on Twitter. Um, Limited Run Games knew exactly what they were doing. Like, uh, they knew that there was a fan base around, you know, Zelda CDI, and especially after they did the um, the remastered version and released that online, and uh, people were starting to, like, you know, play a, a, fi a better version of the Zelda CDI games that were actually fixed and uh, actually, you know, you know, worked better, would you believe? And uh, now... Limited Run Games have seen that there is a community around all this, and they see that's the reason why they brought RZ the Jewel of Faramore. They even brought back some of the original voice actors from like the original CDI games as well. That yeah, I found crazy. amazing. That's yeah. crazy. So they were like, able to bring back the original voice actor of Link and Zelda to be a part of this game. Yeah, I did say that, you know, um, I was going to play this at some point, and uh, it's yet to, like, have get to get around to it, but uh, once I do, I mean, like, apparently, this is actually on, like, uh, you know, not just on, on the PC, it's on the Nintendo Switch as well, would you believe? Mm -hmm. yeah, a, a game that was, you know, a successor to the Zelda CDI games is now on a Nintendo console. Wow. We've, that's crazy. We, that's where we've got, got people. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I'm just so amazed that already, like, when this game came out, there's already, like, these crazy YouTube poops of it. I mean, our buddy Jim on Twitter was able to share one with the both of us called YouTube Poop, RZ the Meal for Dinner, courtesy of Purple Pocket Pirate. And then he said, now we can say RZ is the true successor to the CDI games. Well, and then that, you quoted I, I by think saying, that was the point. I think yeah. I think that uh, you know, of course there was going to be RZ YouTube poops that were going to be out there. I mean, how could they not be? Actually, I'm going to actually go on YouTube now and see how many of it. So there's a. I mean, I can already see um, multiple videos of this already. 
of I put R set I put R set YTP and already there's like there's there's a ton of them that's already in my search engine already. Mm -hmm. Wow. So like yeah. So I think they knew what they were doing here. Yeah, I think that they they knew what they were doing too because I mean, other than those people who created YouTube poops on the internet, I mean, what other general gamer would have heard of RZ the Jewel of Faramore? Yeah, I just think, uh, I mean, the, the, I think people have heard of it. I think it's just the fact that, uh, you know, uh, the, um, um, I, I'm trying to where I'm going with this. So I think people have heard of it. Like, you know, there is a small community of people who, you know, work. You know, AVGN also brought it to the forefront as well, these Elder CDI games. Yes, so, like, he did. Uh, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, other than, like, all the people bringing it up, I mean, you're talking about, like, the niches of niche niche audience who are going to be gravitated to RZ, the Jewel of Faramore, as opposed to all the other games that are currently in the market. Is it niche, though? Like, uh, I mean, because, uh, I mean, here's the thing, like, because when I mean, are you going to compare, them... are, are you gonna compare it to, like, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth? No, it, it, listen to what I'm saying. So, um, Zelda, Zelda CDI, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, what do you think, you know, were uh, once AVGN reviewed it, what do you think other people did? Um, well, they probably reviewed it too. Yes, exactly. Do you know Peanut Butter Gamers, uh, Zelda, Zelda, Link to the Face of Evil review has 6.4 million views? Yeah. And uh, AVGN's. Uh, I don't, the first part alone has eight million, eight point four million views, mm -hmm. and uh, so, and then, um, actually, so yeah, uh, the second part has uh, seven point four million views. So, like, you know, already that's like a total of like you know sixteen, well, eighteen million views, right? Pretty much on 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 AVGN series alone, and that's just the first two parts. And then you have, um, I'm just looking through some of the other ones that people have done as well. Like some of them, like this is what I hate about YouTube. Every time, like some of like the newer, like you know, worse stuff goes. So I said, Jewel of Amor reviews are already starting to come out as well. Oh yeah, Peanut Butter Gamer's Zelda's Adventure also has two point four million views as well. Like you know, the, this is well known within the gaming community how notorious these games are. Like you know, uh, the if if the if the reviews themselves aren't getting millions of views, you know, I can definitely tell you that. Heck, even uh, from what I understand, I think even uh, Nostalgia Critics even done you know a Zelda a Zelda's Adventure review as well. Really. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, uh, it's got 70,000 views, but I mean, like, uh, it's still, you know, uh, but um, the point is, is that, uh, you know, Zelda CDI at the time, you know, amongst the reviewing community was, uh, yeah, Scott's there was 1 million views uh, mm. on, uh, oh, sorry, that's Legend of Zelda, that's not Zelda CDI, but uh, um, yeah, I, mean, I think the point has been made. Some of the big reviewers on YouTube at the time jumped onto Zelda CDI when it was first brought to light. And, uh, you know, uh, and even they went to the Svesaris to actually buy CDI consoles, which, you know, at the time could cost you like $400. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. So, like, uh, that's how big this thing was. So, I don't think it, it may be niche to like people who are like, you know, just playing Flappy Bird at the time, or like, you know, playing like, uh, you know, uh, some of like the bigger games, or like, you know, the 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 the, the non casual gamer. I think you could say probably, you know, was a CDI was pretty niche, but for, like for the gaming community and like for people actually, you know, buy these types of games. I don't think it was. It was a big deal. I mean, look at all the YouTube movies that came out of it. Like, you know, that was a big thing. That was a big thing that mm -hmm. happened on YouTube. So. Wow. I mean, I guess so. I guess for people who are reviewing it, yes. But it makes me wonder, like, how many people actually played it? Um, well, unless you had a CDI at the time, not very many. But uh, then keep in mind also there was the uh, the remastered version that came out that was released yeah. online. Yeah, so, and that was yeah. done by the same people who created this game. Exactly. 
So like, uh, it's uh, so yeah. I think um, they knew what they were doing here. They knew that this was going to be, you know. Uh, I think and also on top of that, these YouTubers give them free advertising for this game, doesn't it? Because mm -hmm. now people can be wondering, what on earth is this? And like, uh, they'll see us at the Jewel of Faramore, and people will download it on Steam or they'll download it on uh, their ga their game consoles. So yeah, so this is free advertising for them. They knew exactly what they were doing. This game was going to market itself. Yeah, I guess so. But then again, I I guess the old saying of like you know, um, there's such thing as like uh, various parts of publicity that will be able to generate buzz. It's like you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity. But yeah, I mean, for people who are gonna rely on YouTube poops and memes for people to get into their stuff, I I kind of find it a little bit uneased. I'm one of those people who actually prefer if something is going to be spread through word of mouth, it's if it's going to be if it's going to be a good game, then I want it to be, you know, spread around saying, hey, it had good gameplay. You know, the the voice acting was really good or, you know, hey, you know, the the they were able to capture what made it so great um, and that they were able to do that with um, the uh, homages to the CDI stuff. I do give a commending. But if YouTube poops is going to be the one that is going to generate them, it's like. Yeah, but don't you want to, like, you know, see the game, you know, the trailer, and then maybe try the game yourself? Mm, I don't sure. know. Anyway, but like I said, you know, sometimes there's no such thing as bad publicity. I mean, if you are going to try this game out from the YouTube poops, then more power to you. Yeah. All right, so that is it for Aaron and Patricia. So uh, we're going to go into our spoiler section with Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, episodes 7 and 8. So if you're not tuned into it, go check it out on Disney+, Plus and then meet up with us. And if not, then uh, we'll see you next week. See you later, guys. Bye. Okay. Um, going once, going twice, going three times, and we're officially in spoiler section for Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, episode 7 and episode 8. So, um, this feels like a game with two halves for me. Like, uh, there's a, an episode that I really, really do like, which is the first one we're going to talk about. And then there's the second episode, which kind of feels a bit like, uh, it sounds like they're trying to give Devil, like, uh, like his own episodes. But uh, i got to be honest, I mean, like, uh, the, this the one, I think, is has a very, very good lesson towards it in episode seven. And episode eight's very, very plain. In yeah, so opinion. let's go. Let's talk about the first episode. Make it, don't break it. So IS eight thirty three gets a new scientist teacher, and her name is Doctor Ojo from Wakanda. So yeah, we're finally going into more in depth with the Black Panther universe. So um, she. Wants by the way, the, this you know Wakanda makes sense not because they're all part of the same universe, but if you remember, you know Wakanda was actually going to be reaching out to like you know poorer communities to like you know uh, you know make them. Uh, you know, is uh, educate them more in like you know in technologies and things like that. So even to the narrative of Black Panther in Moon Girl, Devil Dinosaur, this makes sense it that does. they would send her out to basically become a science teacher. And that's really great. I really did appreciate the they were able to keep within that continuity. So yeah, Nuleno wants to sign up for a Robot Wars competition, but the problem is, is because. Um, she needs a sponsor. And so she wants to be able to be a part of this. And Dr. Ojo just so happens to be the one to say that she is going to sponsor Lunella in the Robot Wars competition. And so Dr. Ojo, because of her experience in, in Wakanda being so highly advanced in technology, she pushes Lunella to the nth degree of wanting her to become better, wanting her to become the diamond within the coal. And every single time that Lunella presents something, it's not good enough for Dr. Ojo. And so she pushes herself so that she can become perfect. Yeah. And uh, so I love this, uh, this episode because I mean, like uh, you see, um, you know, um, 
uh, you know, Lunella being pushed, you know, uh, basically towards the edge of reason, effectively. Like, you know, this whole, you know, thing that uh, she can't get the praise that she normally gets. So she's having to, like, you know, push everything to, like, you know, the, uh, you know, cr crack it up to 11 to, like, you know, reference our episode today. But uh, so it, it's, but then you just see once she, uh, you know, uh, it does finally get the exception and then, you know, he's going to go all the way to, like, try and win the robot wars. and But then ends up, you know, um, failing. And uh, then she basically, she just has a nervous, she has, like, a breakdown. And uh, she just, you know, just collapses on herself. And uh, then it's up for, like, uh, you know, her friends and Mimi to and Casey to um you know try and get her out of it and uh, this is what I like about this episode but the one criti critique I would have about it is that uh, I think Mimi gets introduced into this episode a little bit too late I think I like uh, I would have been like uh, introduced probably like you know a bit halfway in I think and to have a conversation between like her and Lunella and then after that you could probably like you know continue on the conversation side towards the end of the episode I yeah, thought. but I, I think that they were able to play it off really well because this is Lunella's battle by herself, that she needs to be able to break out of her constant criticisms towards herself, saying that she's not good enough. And well, I mean, I would disagree because, uh, I mean, yes, Lunella did break out of this herself, but uh, only because she's had, you know, uh, positive uh, reinforcements around her. I, I love this episode because it utilizes Casey so well in this. Like, you know, she is the loyal best friend in this and uh, if you want an example of an episode where casey is, is put in as the best loyal best friend of uh, of lanella lafayette this is the episode that you need to watch yeah I think. Uh, and not to mention that it was able to play off throughout the early parts of the episode where we do get to see that casey is trying to get lunella to get a break that way she can be able to ease her mind into creating some new ideas for the robot for the competition and then it calls back full circle when she puts the headphones on lunella and is playing the same song that it was playing throughout the earlier part of the episode where she was able to swim through all of the negativity that she was going through finds the diamond and gets the power of positivity and breaks down and destroys all the negative stuff that she was going through so yeah it was able to become full circle from that yeah i like the fact that uh, you know uh, the thing that's uh, you know that was being pressure on linella that uh, i want you to be a diamond and because as we all know it's white diamond who basically plays you know Linella. well i mean diamond white well, like, diamond white, yeah, white diamond is a character from steven universe i apologize yeah diamond white but uh, so um i really like that and um so um yeah again like uh, i think one thing i think that was pretty cool with the i think what they should have done really with the science teacher is that they you know they said oh the explanation that she gives to you know, putting so much pressure on uh, lanella is that oh well, i've had a lot of pressure put on me when i was you know uh you know learning how to you know do do my things and that's how i ended up with my phd my four phds and things so, yeah i, like, I mean uh, yeah. like she got her training from wakanda it's not too much of a surprise why there's so much pressure put onto her so that she can be able to go above and beyond with helping out the Black Panther with all the technological things that they have to do over there. So again, it's not too much of a surprise on the type of teachings that she probably got was probably really harsh. 
I've always imagined it was, and uh, it would have been nice though if, like, maybe we had some like segues, maybe like yeah, you know, like we could have yeah. seen Okoye, we could have seen maybe even the Black Panther. Like, I would have loved to have seen like a little bit of like maybe cut, like, um, like you know, cut uh, pictures or even like a flashback scene of that. That I, I, I would love to have maybe even seen her telling the story of you know all the training that she did get in Wakanda. That would have been really great too. But maybe they're saving it for another episode because it could be a possibility that we might see Dr. Ojo again. Or maybe it's just left to just piecing the the uh, the story bits together. Yeah. So um, I just think that uh, with this episode, I think, uh, yeah, this is one of this is one of the, you know, uh, definitely, you know, if, if, out of all the Moon Girl Devil Dinosaur episodes, this is one of the important episodes, I think. I do because, agree. This is definitely yeah. one of the crucial episodes to tune into. Yeah. And yeah not, because... not because it's like it's uh, because it's good for our characters, but it has a really great message at the end of it as well. Like, you know, you stop pushing yourself like, you know, to the to the far ends of your of reason to, uh, you know, try and. Uh, you know, get, get, you know, uh, say that you're, you know, uh, you're, you're to get your success of like all the other peers, like you know, uh, if people around you are telling you you're doing okay, then you should just accept that. Yeah, for sure. And, and I also like the fact that the STEM kids were actually the ones to defeat the villain alongside with Devil, as opposed to like, you know, Lunella just shaking off and then just going off and fighting when she's probably just literally getting out of a panic attack. She was able to fight her inner self as opposed to like fighting the actual bad guy. Yeah. So I thought that that was That's actually interesting nice because I mean, I think I wonder if they're actually building something up towards that because maybe there's going to be like some kind of like, you know, gigantic battle because keep in mind, well, Monocule Man's still out there somewhere. Yeah, no, Molecule Man so. is, uh, even though that he's a baby and he's like, you know, trapped within that dimension, I wouldn't be surprised if eventually he would get out of it and maybe he'll become a major threat again. I mean, I, I'm not sure at this point. I mean, we're only about halfway done with the first half of, you know, no, we're, I, I, yeah, we're, we're almost done, actually. We only have like a few more episodes to go until we get to the first half of season two. So, yeah, we're still, in, you know, at this point in time in which when... Um, we're just going to get little pieces of whether Molecule Man will return. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, because, I mean, the one thing I would say is that it looks like they're trying to, like, build up our, like, uh, side characters as well. Which, uh, I mean, once you start doing that, you're obviously going to, like, want to have, like, some, like, big, you know, climactic battle, I think, at the very end of it. Which I think, I don't get, I think I get the feeling that we're starting to get towards that. Because we've been introduced, you know, uh, to, um, you know, uh, Mimi and all of her friends as well, like, you know, out in the desert. And then we're introduced to, like, uh, you know, uh, all of Lanella's classmates as well. And uh, then also Yeah, we got Linella's introduced now... to Cree Kid in the last yeah, Cree... episode. Yeah, Cree Kid as well. So, you know, we're starting to get allies being built up and seeing how powerful they are. And uh, it does make me wonder if this is going to... Uh, where, where they're going to go with this and uh, how they're going to utilize all these characters in the future, you know, like, because I'd hate them to just be like, you know, just one episode characters, you know, like, uh, I feel like they should, like, you know, build this up towards, like, oh, hey, there's a big threat that's going to come over that's uh, going to, like, you know, Moon Girl can't do this on her own. She's going to need, you know, the the uh, episode, I can't remember which episode it was, the one where, like, you know, all the, all the uh, characters got together because they didn't want to see their, you know, neighborhood gentrified. And stuff like that. Oh, like, you're talking about uh, like Mother, like Moon Girl. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, uh, you know, there was that, and so I'd like to see another version of that. Like, you know, except you know, the stakes are way higher at this point. Like, you know, it's not just the neighborhood; it potentially could be the world. And then it's Ooh. like, you know, so Lynette, it's like, you know, it's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur and all her friends and everybody who have to, you know, come to the rescue and everything. And uh, then it probably could be the uh, the awkward conversation that Moon Girl's going to have to have. That uh, you know, she turns around to her family and says, "Look, I am Lunelli at Lafayette. Like, I've been Moon Girl this entire time." You know, and I need your help. So, like, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, they should so build that up. 
I do agree. Yeah. Like it, the fact that Dr. Ojo was even inviting Lunella over to this secret, you know, organization slash uh, superhero group to be a part of like some of the most intelligent people gathering together to fight off against something. I mean, we could see a possibility that maybe Dr. Ojo would come back and maybe Lunella would eventually be ready to join up in a major group like this. Yeah. So uh, anyway, time will tell. So I'm, I'm sure with that, but uh, so, uh, well, we've gone had a really great episode in episode seven. I've got to be honest with you. I mean, I don't know what your re response is going to be this Patricia, but uh, um, I didn't really think much of like episode eight, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, episode eight was definitely a very interesting episode, but not in a very good way. So the devil, you know, has Lunella and her family going on a road trip and devil is by himself and he feels unappreciative he feels like he's just the sidekick who is not a part of the family which again makes a lot of sense because lunella is not ready to tell her family about devil yet because then she would have to reveal that she's moon girl and so devil but you think that devil would understand that as a best friend or like you know you would think that he would have that understanding no, thought. I guess not. So he decides to go off in a huff, and then he sees this advertisement by the um by a um electric pole saying, "Hey, are do you feel unappreciative? Do you feel like you're not part of a family, but instead a sidekick? Then come over to this little organization where we have these former, um, you know, uh, animals who used to be." sidekicks of superheroes and you know talk about your problems and so we have aragorn red wing and tooth nasher so yeah let's talk about that so red wing is a drone that is alongside the falcon aka sam wilson aragorn and tooth nasher is uh, a group that is involved with thor and then we have pebble who is a part of a fictional marvel character known as the granite and so each of them have their reasons on why they feel unappreciative. So Aragorn, the reason why she's unappreciative is because she can't be on an airplane when her super is on a plane. And so she has to fly and she can't fit in the plane. And so she feels out of, you know, she feels, you know, like she's, um, which is, which is really weak when you really yeah. think about it. And then we have Tooth Nasher, who is unable to say what his problem is with his super because of copyright reasons. Okay. I didn't get that. I didn't get that joke. Yeah, I didn't get that joke either because he's a companion to Thor. Like, he's the one who rides alongside with Aragorn on his chariot. So is, 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 is like, Tooth Nasher a copyrighted character from Thor that we're not allowed to use? I don't understand. Yeah. Then I again, I haven't either. read the comics. So, you know, this is my, you know, inadequate comic knowledge showing. So for all the comic fans, please explain why Tooth Nasher couldn't explain about his origins with Thor. I would love to know about that. And then with Red Wing, he feels unappreciative as well because, you know, his uh, identity, you know, his super identity has to be kept secret. And so he knew absolutely nothing about him. And so, I mean, it makes a lot of sense because, you know, he's a superhero and superheroes need to keep their identity as a secret. And then you have Pebble who the reason why, um, you know, they ran away from their uh, super was because the super was going to be moving away and... It said no dogs allowed, and he has a man cave that he cares for a lot more than Pebble, and so he decides that he's going to run away and leave Granite out in the dust. And so they all have their reasons on why they 
have left their supers and then devil comes in and at first everything goes fine you know they have their dinner they hang out they play games and then we have pebble wanting to go over to his former supers um man cave and destroy the whole thing out of revenge and it's stupid it's really dumb it's just petty um you know reasoning yeah. on why they want to be able to do and this all of it and it, all of it is just like they're just oh they just like explained away his misunderstandings and it's yeah, just it was like, a simple. Know, mis- yeah, all of them have been misunderstandings. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, like, they're going the, the all this trouble for nothing. Comes in. Yeah, it was all for nothing. The granite literally comes in, sees Pebble, gets really excited because he missed her so him missed him so much, and then explains, "Oh, I've been a part of this group where I've been surrounded by superheroes who have missed her sidekicks, and oh." Um, you know, uh, Aragorn, you know, uh, the reason why that uh, your super was in an airplane was because you could have the freedom to fly. And, oh, Red Wing, it turns out that, you know, you have your super whose name is Rodney. And then Toothnasher, oh, w- w- you know, we don't talk about you. So Toothnasher is just left in the dust, which sucks, by the way. And then Devil then realizes that, oh, well, he's not in the same predicament as those other supers because Lunella's been really good to him. Like, they've had a lot of adventures together, and they've had a lot of love and appreciation for one another. So, yeah, that just comes and goes really quickly. Yeah, it's just, it's, uh, this whole, you know, it, I, I just, it's, it's a shame, really, because, like, uh, we don't get very many, keep in mind, like, a lot of, like, the series so far has focused around Lunella Lafayette and Moon Girl and, like, um, her, uh, you know, um, complex relationship that she has with her family uh, in regards to, like, you know, being a superhero and also, you know, being, you know, their daughter, you know, being the daughter of the family. So there's there's all of that going on. And uh, we don't really get to focus, like, all that too much on Devil Dinosaur unless, you know, something cool kind of happens or something funny kind of happens. He's kind of like, you know, he has become, like, become a bit comedic. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, there have this. been a few episodes in season one where he is the focus, like uh, Teacher's Pet and Devil on the Shoulder. But yeah, I mean, other than that, he, you know, episodes like that ha- that have him alone is not very strong compared to Lunella's. Exactly, but you know, the, the, the title of the show is Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, and uh, let's be honest, we've seen a lot more of Moon Girl than we have of Devil Dinosaur. Yeah, we have been. And the episodes that do focus on Devil Dinosaur are not as great as the episodes focusing on Lunella. Lunella yeah, you were thinking this is an opportunity to like, you know, build like, you know, some, uh, you know, individual in- individual identity into uh, into Devil Dinosaur, but they don't, they don't really do anything with him really. Like no. he just goes he just goes off in a sop, hangs out with the wrong crowd and uh, then you know, uh, ends up, you know, um, you know, actually realizing, which you probably should realize, like from to, from to begin with, that you know, uh, uh, Lunella has treated Devil like family, you know, from that, and uh, yeah, a lot of it's just kind of like really petty and like just really sour, you know, and uh, then they realize how stupid they've all been, like you know, at the end of the episode, nothing was achieved here. Mm, really. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that we did find hilarious was the scene in which when Lunella was going into the gift shop and she was trying to find. Um, you know, one of those like license plates name tags that has her name on it. And she always says like, you know, they never have my name. Gee, I wonder who it reminds me of. Yeah, it reminds me of me because yeah. uh, that's the yeah, that's the one where I'm holding up the uh, the, the bought license plate uh, pretty much. Uh, and uh, which uh, has Aaron spelled wrong. But, uh, you know, then, you know, um, lucky her, Lunella actually does find a, uh, a uh, tag with her actual name on it. So, uh and then finds one called Devil as well, which is like, you know, wow, you can tell this is a cartoon because that never would have happened. Yeah, like I, I don't I that would be really weird 
if she did have a name tag that said devil in a slew of lines with the would they have the letter d like daniel or david or donald or any other names like you you would rarely if ever find a kid whose name is devil unless oh, no, course... no, give give satanism another couple of years i'm pretty sure we'll find a kid one day sooner or later that'll probably uh you know have that title oh, God. So. okay okay we, we've gone past this point so but, yeah I mean, that, if... that, that's how interesting unfortunately that's how uninteresting this episode is to me like uh, i just want to basically make you know, outside jokes about you know uh, things that have happened in the episode rather than actually things that are, like you know have happened like within it yeah, like the fact that they went all the way to Kansas so they can look at the largest ball of yarn. <laughs> That's quite a trip. Yeah. It, it, it kind of reminds me of like in that scene in the Goofy movie in which Max takes his uh takes Goofy over to that while they're heading over to Los Angeles. Well, Max wants to head over to Los Angeles, but um Goofy wants to head over to Idaho so they can go over to do fishing. So, yeah, I, I mean, that just kind of reminded me of that scene. But yeah, I mean, it was nice that we did get to have Lunella spend time with her family. But again, it's just like a tiny part of the story like we don't actually get to see too much of it so the fact that devil is more of the focus of this story and it's not very interesting it's it's an it's an episode that i would say that you can easily skip on this one unless of course if there is an episode later on that actually justifies that you have to tune into it like maybe the 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 animal sidekicks come back or something i'm not sure yeah i just think that's um i, I don't know what was achieved in this episode no one really went anywhere in this one so yeah so I would say that for the two episodes that we did watch, uh, "Make It, Don't Break It" is definitely the highlight. Oh, it's like it's uh, it's yin and yang. Like you know, where uh, the you know episode seven I think is uh, fantastic, while well, episode eight not so much. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. All right, so that is our end of the discussion for Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. So tune in next week as we discuss about episodes nine and ten. Okay, bye bye everyone. Bye.